Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Welcome to another episode of Affirmative Murder. I am Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Francel Evans. What up? People, what is going on? I want to let you guys know. I'm going to talk about it a little bit later, but we got a brief peak of sunshine today after about what feels like an eternity of rain here in the Maryland area. Of course, I had to break the grill out. Things got real crazy. I will talk about that further on in a little bit, but before I do that, I want to give a quick shout out to a, a particular listener. Um, we got a letter in the P.O. box. Mm-hmm. Um, it, she sent us... I don't really know how this works. You could expound upon this. She wanted to send us a letter that was self-addressed because you don't need to use a stamp on it? That's what no, she told me. it doesn't, no. Mm-mm. Okay, yeah, so she said it'll save you like a buck or whatever, so mm-hmm. I'll send you one of my self-addressed letters, and then you put the sticker in there and send it back to me now. Yeah. Basically is what she mm-hmm. said, and I was like, yes, ma'am. So shout out to... I want to give a shout out to... You know, like when you have communication with people on social media, you never really know how to say their name. Mm-hmm. Her name is Ana. I'm gonna su- assume that's Anna, mm-hmm. like Anna, but with a one less a, so it's more exotic sounding. Anna, mm-hmm. right? So I'm gonna read her letter really quick because it really, it, it was really nice. So, um, it said, "Dear Alvin and friend, I swiped the envelopes from my job. Ha 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 ha. So you know, she found that pretty comical. Thief. Yeah." How about uh, I'm reporting you to HR, first of all. <laughs> Thievery isn't funny, you thief. Thank you for your no-fucks-given approach. It was, due to, it was due time that two dudes as funny as you guys break into true crime. I mean, you know, we're humble, so I, I don't really, you know, I would never describe myself as funny. That feels super gross to be like somebody to say, describe yourself. And I'd be like, well, I'm funny. Mm. But thank you to Anna for, you know, thinking that we're funny. And we, we're, just, we're just hanging out, you know. So if, if you guys find what we do funny, we're glad because we are trying. Yeah. But I, wouldn't, we, I don't think you would describe yourself as that, you know. No. I think that funny, I, t- I, I take funny in such a high regard. I feel like that's also like some, describe yourself. Like, well, you know, I'm really handsome. It just feels very arrogant mm. to, to, you know, to use those kind of descriptors about yourself. Anyway, um, she said, uh. I love the banter and appreciate all the work you guys do so that the Affirminators can laugh with y'all weekly. Proud to say I've been up on you ga- on your game from pretty early on. First of all, Anna, don't try to uh, lump us in with, with whatever kind of schemes you do. <laughs> we don't play a game here. We just record 
in my house and have a good time and talk about fucked up shit. So we're not stealing things or or scheming or gaming anybody. Okay? That's you projecting. Okay? Now, if it goes any further, we will have to call HR on you, you thief. Jeez. A game. Where does she get off, man? Something else, man. A game. <laughs> uh, she said, can you do a murder from my country at some point? I was born in Argentina. Gracias. And then she said some other things that are, you know, uh, you know, politically, mm-hmm. you know, leaning one way. So I won't get into it, you know. You know, we, we're, we're trying to steer away from that. So, but, Anna, yes. Everything you said, you know what you said. Yeah. All of that. And I, I got my fist up right now. But we won't we won't dive too much into it because, you know, no. we're just because we can. We can, but we won't. <laughs> you know, we won't. We won't. Uh, but uh, another cool thing that happened over the weekend is there's this, this show that came out on Friday. It's called I Am a Serial Killer. Right. And so I, I put up a message in the Facebook group saying like, oh, has you got have any has anybody watched this show? And it turned into. Like three or four of us in the Facebook group were live watching the show together and it was Mm. super cool like people like we were people were commenting back and forth like this part is crazy Mm -hmm. and this part is and it was really fun i had a really fun time watching the show and having it was almost like a live viewing with some friends you know so i want to give a quick shout out to uh sammy smith alex kirk from the mall podcast uh joy i want to give a shout out to uh kelly rule and her sister who i don't know if she's a part of the group but she was a part of the group that night so shout out to her, shout out to Liz Coleccio, you know, she was involved in that too. And Kelly's sister's name is... Sister Kelly. Sister's Kelly's sister's name is Sister Kelly. Shout out to you as well. I can't find your name, sweetheart. I, I want to give, but you know, you, you don't need props. You were there. It was a moment and it happened, you know. So shout out to everybody that was a part of that moment. It was really fun. Fran, I'm going to move on because what I wanted to talk to you about is something that happened a few weeks ago, and I didn't really get a chance to speak on it, but now that it's fresh in my mind, I want to talk about something that happened at my job, okay? Mm -hmm. So now, I know I make jokes and everything like that, but as you know, I'm I'm a part of the BPEU, you know? So I'm, you know, for those of you who don't know, it's the the Birthday Party Entertainers Union, Union of America, Local 1529. Uh, and what happened is at my job, two people had an affair, mm-hmm. right? Now, this union is great, you know? They have great benefits, all kind of bonus checks you get and everything like this. Now, the woman was married, mm-hmm. right? So she was married, and she had an affair with this young kid, okay? He dresses up like Cookie Monster, and he does all the YouTube dances at parties, mm-hmm. and she's a witch. So they had an affair, and now he gets to come back to work. And everybody's, you know, making jokes. It's the double standard is really what I'm trying to get to, right? Mm-hmm. So this woman has not shown her face back at work since this happened. Because it got out. One of them was recording it. So there's like a video floating around mm-hmm. of them, like, she's blowing them or something. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen the video, but it's some kind of video going around. Mm-hmm. And now this woman can't show her face at work. And she's been there like 12 years, mm-hmm. right? But this kid is back. And everybody's like, they're making fun of him, but not really. It's like, oh, hey, uh, you know, hey, what's up, King Dingaling? You know, it's people making, it's like, it's like, it's like insults, but not, it's like insults, but not really. That's like high five insults. Like, oh man, hey, what's up, killer? You know, oh man, 
Uh, He's the guy the, with the third leg. Yeah, it's all those kind of <laughs> jokes. But this woman can't. This woman literally can't show her face at uh, work anymore. Uh, you know, and it just. Uh, I really felt like I wanted to say something about that because I really feel like that's so wrong that this woman worked hard, moved up in this company, and now she can't show her face at work out of pure embarrassment. No, nobody. She didn't get fired or anything like that. It's just like I can't show my face there. Because I'll be ridiculed beyond belief. Mm-hmm. But this guy came back the next day to work. And just people were just like, oh, hey, what's up, slugger? <sighs> and people laughing, but not really. You know, mm-hmm. it's that thing of, it's that, you know, it happened in high school. You know, one girl, if she sleeps with a guy, it's like she's a slut. But if this guy does it, he's a, 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 a winner and a champion and all these kind of things. And I just think that's fucked up, man. I, I think we need to move past that as a society. Obviously, infidelity is not right but if 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 you're gonna chastise this woman for what she did then that guy it should be the same thing or it should be the same thing where it's like oh hey what's up uh it's uh you know uh can't you know got that uh cougar pussy or you know whatever i don't Mm -hmm. know like some kind of thing where it's just like i'm just fucking with you Mm -hmm. you know people fuck you know but it's not it's more of like a oh there's that you know that slut or yeah there's Mm -hmm. that oh gross I wonder if I can fuck her. You know, people are gross, man, you know. So I don't I just think that's fucked up and I just wanted to touch on it. I it really left a, a nasty taste in my mouth because I you know, you hear these stories and even even high school you kind of hear people, you know, rumors and stuff about people that you're like that's probably not true and that's fucked up. Mm-hmm. But to see it firsthand as an adult and it and it jeopardized somebody's livelihood. Like we all have bills to pay. And this woman doesn't feel comfortable coming back to work. When she has earned her right to be there, she has a good position in the union. She can work as much as she wants to. She has the seniority to work all the birthday parties. And yet she can't come to work anymore out of pure, like, embarrassment. And it's nothing to be embarrassed about, you know. Her husband wasn't putting it down or this dude, she wanted to fuck this guy. That's her business. Mm-hmm. How, who are we to make her feel like she can't show her face somewhere anymore, you know? So I just think we need to get over that as a people, man. What is this union you talking about? The BPEU. I, I don't know. I don't know what that is. Well, it's the Birthday Parties Entertainment Union of America. So basically, you know, Sophia's what two? Mm-hmm. Well, eventually you'll be throwing her a birthday party. You call us up. You, we might send over, you know, the amazing John. He's a magician. Um, we so got. So when did you join this? When did I join this? Yeah. Well, I've been doing this about 17 years. Well, I'm not 17, 17 years. I've been doing this since I was about 17. I'm sorry. I've been doing this since I was about 17, on and off. But I really decided to fully commit mm-hmm. uh, probably one when we bought the house, which was like two years ago. So basically, um, what's funny is the guy that I'm describing, he dresses up like Cookie Monster. And he does all the YouTube dances. But I also dress up like Bert from Sesame Street. And I do the dances alongside him. The dances, you know... This one, the and the, that one, and you know this one. You know all those kind of moves. I, I do that. those. You know <laughs> this one. And, you know, so I do all those, and you know we make a good living, man. You know the benefits are great. You know summers are a little harsh. The suits are hot, but it's a great job, man. Like, and she can't come to work anymore. So I just think that's super fucked up, man. And women, shout out to y'all, man. I I I I can't. I don't want to say I feel you, but I do empathize with the struggles that you guys have to deal with in this gross society that demonizes you for just being who you are 
and then being sexually free or whatever, you know, that's your business, man. Anyway, we're going to move on because that got me hot. I see. Also, if you got any birthday parties coming up this summer, you know, you can call us up, you know, my personal number, 443-775-2129. I only work weekends and I don't do nudity. Anyway, friends, so um, <laughs> you just had a birthday. Yeah. You know, you didn't call me, but that's cool. You just had a birthday. Why I huh? call you? What did I call you for? I was like, come get the party lit, man. <laughs> you know how much a birth suit costs? I got to get my I'm money. A, I got to recoup. I had to work on my birthday. You had to work on your birthday? Yeah. That's not fun. But then after you got off work, you hung out. What? Hung what? out, man. Hung out home? Yeah, yeah I mean, with the family. Just hung out. You know it's what I mean? Getting, it's getting about that time, man. I just don't. Going out, do nothing. Just, Did you get a cake? I got some gifts. But no cake? I don't want a cake. I don't eat cake like that. I just, man, just on my birthday, just leave me the hell alone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go out. I don't want to. What do I need to go out for? Hey, man. I don't want. I don't like being around people, man. Just I, leave I, me alone. I respect it for sure. <laughs> but I wanted to say thank you to everybody, though. It was I, it was hella love. Yeah, you like, got a lot of love, love yeah. man. So it was. I really appreciate it, though. Yeah, you got it a lot meant, of it love. Meant a lot. Yeah. Speaking of love, you know what we're going to do is we're going to continue this wave of love. Fran's birthday, you know, my fro- my flourishing career as a birthday party entertainer, you know, so we just got a lot of fun things going on. And um, what we're going to do is we're going to jump into these good vibes and keep the party going. Yes, that's right, folks. It's time for another week of good vibes. Okay, Fran, I'm going to start off. Okay, I want to tell you a good story about a kind gentleman, a good Samaritan who came to a woman's aid in uh, dire times, right? Okay, so... uh, this happened on. This happened a couple days ago. So, when one widow reached her financial and emotional breaking point at the grocery store, a changer, a stranger saved the day by paying for all her groceries. Mm-hmm. She had no idea who who her conveyor belt knight in shining armor was until a cashier tipped her off. She said, "You know that's ludicrous, right?" Luda. That's right, Luda. Paid for all this lady's groceries, right? Indeed, it was the rapper and actor. Chris Ludacris Bridges taking Southern hospitality to a whole new level. The woman said, he taught me that kindness is a currency that we all have. The more you spend it, the richer you get. And I take that to heart because there have been many a time when I've been at the drive-thru for Chick-fil-A. Yes, I know Chick-fil-A kind of has this thing about, you know, hating gay people and all this kind of stuff. I don't agree with that. But their chicken sandwiches are delicious. Facts. And I just, the customer service is 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 top notch. I I would never go to Chick Fil A corporate and sit down with the CEO of Chick Fil A, but I've seen gay people working at Chick Fil A. So I say, hey man, if that person can deal with it, they're mm-hmm. trying to make a living. I'm trying to eat, you know. So until a a pro gay chicken sandwich spot opens up that is fast and close to my job. Uh, it's the it's the biggest business in town, man. I, I I'm sorry, but I'll be at line of Chick Fil A, and I'll get my food. And I'm I'll, sometimes I'll be like, you know, I want to pay for the person's food behind me. But then I realize, well, my food costs fourteen dollars. 
I'm not. I mean, I'm sorry. You know, like, I, you know, I, I want to be a good Samaritan, but it's a limit to it. You know, it will work better at a place like McDonald's, mm. but that place is disgusting dog food. So uh. I won't eat there. And but that would be the place to do it, because I'm sure people that eat at McDonald's are probably up on hard times, you know, feeling low about themselves because they're eating a the shitty food. Mm. So if I did that, that would really, you know, oh, my God, I don't have to spend this 99 cents on this shitty burger. Thank you, sir. Please. Mm. God bless you, you know, so it will go a longer way at McDonald's, but I won't be seen in a McDonald's drive through for the life of me. Mm. So the only places I can do it are, you know, you know, respectable establishments, you know, Chick-fil-A, maybe mm. Chipotle, you know, Chipotle is a better place to do it. I will some from time to time for sure. You know, I've done it at 7-Eleven and, you know, but mostly I, what I'll do is if somebody homeless is asking me for money outside of a place like that, I'll bring them in and just get them a juice or something. Yeah, That's that. what I'm more famous for. <clears throat> yeah, I did that the other day also. A guy was like, because on my row I have like this, I have all the boxes and I have, it's like under this gazebo. Uh-huh. There's a young kid under there, he was just, he looked tired, hungry, yeah. and then like he was eating like a sandwich. I was like, hey man, you want something to drink? I got a Gatorade. He's like, yeah, I'll take it off. Get my Gatorade. They man, you have it. I was thirsty too, but I was like, I yeah, can I can get another one. Yeah, Teddy you know. Gatorade. Like, Yo, thank you, man. No problem, man. Just go ahead and you know, uh, you rest know, up. I, if I had cash, I probably would have gave him some, but I don't carry cash like that at all. So, yeah. gave my Gatorade. He took it and he was like, thank yeah. you. I was like, hey, man, no problem. I I have a I have a, a kind of a rule, but because of the opioid crisis, I've had to, I've had to bend my rules a little bit. I usually any kind of young able-bodied person, mm-hmm. I don't give money to. Okay. You know, unless you're performing a service, mm. like selling water or something like that. Now, if you're spraying windows with that Windex and trying to wipe my windows off, mm. I will hit my thing to make my windows clean and tell you don't do that. I might still give you a buck just to say, like, hey, man. Like, I, I, I pulled a kid up uh, the other day. I was coming from work, and I said, look, man, uh, here's $5. I don't need you to clean my window, but, like, you guys should go, like, go pull in on a case of water or something mm. and sell. Who in 2018 needs their windows cleaned? Yes. Yeah, it you have wiper fluid in your car. Or mm. It doesn't. It, it's your job has been taken, sir. Your job has been automated. It's not a good. It's not a good hustle. It's just not a smart hustle at all. If anything, your pe- people are paying you to go away. But yeah, but all cars been having that for, for years now. So why are they doing it? It's just an awful hustle. Go get some <laughs> waters from the store and sell them. You know. I, I mean, I mean, I just didn't like them doing it and not asking was my problem. Cleaning your window? Yeah. That's, well, that's the job. That's them. They do it, and they go, well, I already used up my fluid, man. So, I mean, can I? Can you recoup me for the uh, fluid that I sprayed uh, on your window? That's a terrible business tactic. Why yeah, would like you're going to give up the product before you get the money in hand? <laughs> yeah. You know, uh. that the, but that's the thing. And I hate to make it about this, but, like, a lot of them travel in groups, so it's, like, almost mm-hmm. like an intimidation where it's, like, I mean, I already sprayed it and did it. You're not going to pay me? I and then a, you're surrounded. I seen a white guy the other day. He was, like, asking. Oh. And I was like, well, that's. Yeah. I feel like that you should do it that way if yeah. you're going to do that. But like, yeah, you won't make a lot of money. I don't think many people are like, man, you know what? I need right now a thorough windshield cleaning. <laughs> anyway, I'm gonna finish my story. <laughs> uh, so the star Ludacris Luda. came to the rescue of a struggling freelance Woo. journalist, paying for her groceries at an Atlanta area Whole Foods Monday in a simple act of kindness. First of all, if you are struggling with money, you should not be shopping at Whole Foods. I was about to say. You should not be shopping at Whole Foods. (laughs) That makes me feel less sorry for you because, you know, I understand everybody wants to eat healthy and it should be a right as a human being to be able to eat a healthy meal, but that's just not the world we live in. So sometimes you got to get a bag of chips and eat some Lunchables. You can't be going and trying to get avocado toast and artichokes and 
freshly made sushi from Whole Foods, mm-hmm. and, and, and you're struggling. That's just that just doesn't that doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You got to get this struggle meal off. You need to go get a can of beans, some ballpark franks, and a bag of rice, and do your thing. That meal will fill you up, and it's delicious. And that's what struggle food is. You going to Whole Foods? You going to Whole Foods stressed? <laughs> you I can't I can't relate. I can't relate to going into Whole Foods like, oh God, I hope my card doesn't get declined. I need to get this uh, coconut water and this uh, these uh, these bee pollen vitamins, and I have to get. Well, I need to get Gruyere cheese. I mean, I know it's I know I'm really kind of in the red in my bank account, but like I can't eat water chestnut crackers without Gruyere cheese. I mean, what what is this? You know. You know, I need to get some kombucha and uh, obviously I need wild Alaskan sockeye salmon. I mean, you know, uh, I need to eat and survive. You know, I can't relate to that. You know, sometimes when it's struggle meals, you gotta go get that McGangbang, man. You gotta do what you gotta do. You gotta get that McGangbang. That's just the way it's gotta go. Go get your McChicken, McDouble, smash, get you a barbecue sauce on the side. And gangbang it out until that next check that next check comes. That's just how it's got to go. Sorry. Anyway, Ludacris paid for a grocery. She was crying and so thankful and all this kind of stuff. And I think on the way out, he said something like, you know, he said it like a double entendre, like, I filled your bag up with groceries, balloons, you know, or something like that. Some kind of ludicrous pun. <laughs> and then uh, he, you know, hopped in his Ludamobile and he drove away. Luda! But that's what Ludacris did this week, y'all. Woo! So what's your excuse? You know, help a person. At the very least, leave a penny, take a penny. If you don't subscribe to that system, at the very least, you're not making a contribution to your neighbor in society. Sometimes, you know, the uh, the the you know the nice uh, Middle Eastern fellow at the Seven Eleven, your drink costs a dollar five. He wants a dollar five. You don't have a dollar five. You have a dollar. If you put those contributions in, now that person can take five pennies out of the take a penny, leave a penny, mm-hmm. and now you've helped him get his Arizona iced tea. So just think about that, man, and take that and go beyond. Anyway, Fran, what's your good vibe segment this week? My good vibe segment this week is the LeBron James. Shout out to LeBron James. So LeBron James, the GOAT for his prowess on the basketball court. Yeah. Others say that his work and the community that really makes him the greatest of all time. Undoubtedly. Yes. Undoubtedly. Sorry. Residents in his hometown of Akron, Ohio, mm-hmm. experience experience that worked firsthand with uh, firsthand this week when his I Promise school opened the doors to yeah. 240 at-risk third and fourth graders. Say it again. Do you want me to say it again for us? Yes. Okay. How many? 240 at-risk third and fourth graders, and it, I think what I I don't know word for word, but they said that. Between ages the third and fourth is where, um, that's where you can still catch them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, it will be kind of a waste of money to open up a high school. Yeah, for mm-hmm. kids that already been in that environment. Sad to say, but they're probably already set in their ways and gone. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yep. Yeah. Uh, the school, a project of the LeBron James Family Foundation and Akron Public Schools, provides students with. The slew of awesome perks. Mm-hmm. In addition to attending the school run by the king, students will also receive free tuition. Oh, talk damn. about it. Free uniforms. Do it. Free breakfast, lunch, and snacks. What oh, else? Damn. Free transportation within two miles. Mm. A free bicycle and helmet. Damn. Access to a food pantry for their family. Come on now. That's got to be it, right? Yeah. No. 
No, oh. this is the this. I think this part is the best. No, I think the last two parts is the best of all. Okay. So this one is guaranteed tuition for all graduates to God the University damn. of Akron. Yes. Drop that bomb on them. Yes. Mm. And this other one that I like, what I thought was really important. What's more, what's more, parents of students will receive access to job placement services and help acquiring their GEDs. The parents. The parents. Wow. So they're trying to help the whole family yep. out. Yep. Come on, man. And how long has he been wearing those I promise braces? I thought he was just saying I promise to win a championship. That's what I thought it meant. You know, he's just been wearing those since he got back to Cleveland. Yep. Maybe even a little bit. I don't even. It's been a long time since before the school opened up. Mm-hmm. And to find out that that's what it's been, because I wasn't really keeping up with the LeBron financials and the behind the scenes shit, because he's right. just it's so much attention on the basketball. He's so good at that mm-hmm. that you, you kind of you hear things like, oh, he's producing this show or whatever. But. I didn't know he was building a school, you know, and to find out that it's called the I Promise School and nearly 300 kids are going to get an education that they would not get in Akron, Ohio at any other public school. You know, public school is going to shit. And I have my conspiracies about that. I think that the government is trying to make school privatized Mm -hmm. and it's like either you have money to send your kid. Like I think within I hopefully I'm wrong, but I think within the next 10 to 12 years. Either you got money to skin your, send your kid to private school or your kid just doesn't go to school. You know, you a, get take computer, you know, air quotes, computer classes. And that's scary. You know, and that, but like, it's so easy if you don't have an attentive parent or you just have one parent at home that has to work. Mm-hmm. You can just say you got online and yeah. went to school today, yeah. you know. So it's like either you can get a high quality education and kick out a pocket for it or you just don't go to school. I mean, public schools are closing every day. Hopefully my conspiracy is wrong. But just I've seen no evidence to the contrary no. until this, no. like until LeBron James is saying, look, I, I'm gambling on the future. I believe mm-hmm. in these kids. And if you if you go to this school and then you go to middle school and go to high school and you graduate, mm-hmm. you got a scholarship waiting for you. Yeah, I just I went to go pick up one of Steph's siblings of the day from from elementary school. Mm-hmm. This is the elementary school. Yeah. These little kids are cursing. I yeah. was like, it's crazy. out here, man. It is no way my child. I'm sending my she. I think she's gonna be selling school at the end of the year, beginning of next year, or mm-hmm. whatever. She's going to a Catholic private school. Yeah. Um, it's like you. It's, have, it's almost like it. you have to. Yeah. It's just you have to. It's insane. And not that these those kids at the Catholic school might not are perfect or whatever, but because those maybe those teachers there make more money, they try harder. And yeah. I and I, I hate to say it that way because I have many friends that are public school teachers mm-hmm. that give their all. In every sense of the word, come out of pocket for school supplies mm-hmm. and, and and try hard. But if you're in this system where, you know, the dropout rate is high and you come bright eyed, like I'm going to make a difference and I'm going to give everything I got. Maybe my whole paycheck's going right back into supplies. After like three years of that, you're drained. You're like, you see no hope. Maybe one student you're able to get through to and they go on and, you know, those kind of. So eventually you get these teachers that are like, look, man, just take a book. Mm. But it's just because they've seen this story a thousand times and they have no hope. It's like, man, look, the kids come in, the school year starts. Some of them are kind of interested, but they get distracted by the kids who aren't trying. Mm. And we can't really do anything about those kids because if I try to discipline them, their parents come in and they cuss me out. So, hey, man, I've seen this a thousand times. So um, here's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I'm going to put this on and you guys just write down what you think the movie's about. I'm going to take, take a nap, you know? We had hella teachers like that. And yeah. It's gotten worse since we were in middle school, you know? We had hella teachers that were just like, 
do this and you know. It's a movie day? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Don't let it be a sub. You know. Oh. That's like recess. That's like jail. <laughs> it's like Lords of the If it's a sub in your class, it's Lord of the Flies in your class. And then you got that that list of names that when the teacher comes back, it's like, Yeah. You have detention. Yep. I heard you were on the desk. Standing on the desk? <laughs> yeah, you're suspended from school. You were eating a steak in here? Where'd you even get a steak from? <laughs> You're super suspended from school, you know? So I understand the plight of being a teacher, but I really think that, you know, if 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 LeBron is able to start a trend of making school fun again and and and, and jolting some energy into the public school system and making people say, man, let's change these curriculums up. Let's get kids excited for school again. Mm-hmm. I think it could make, really change things. I, and, and at the very least, he's trying. And that's what makes me so angry about what happened with, you know, he who shall not be named. We're gonna we're gonna try to Voldemort that dude <laughs> on this podcast from now on. We're gonna try to not mention his name, mm-hmm. but of all the weeks to c- come shit on this man, the week that he opened the school and put almost like a hundred million dollars of his own money into trying to save kids, mm-hmm. and you call him dumb and all these, it just it was bad timing. It was wrong if at any time, right. but this week, come on, man. I mean, you know. So shout out to LeBron James. Let's give it up for him. Round of applause for LeBron James. That's him. That's amazing. You know, to have all the money and all the things in the world, and still you want to give back. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's just beautiful. You know, but you know, everybody, you know what we do here. We talk about fucked up shit. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a quick break. Now, like I said, I did hop on the grill before the rain came back into our lives. Hopped on the grill, made some sausage links, some burgers, some some chicken wings. So you know what I had to be listening to while I was out there. So I'm gonna take us out with that. I was listening to that Maze and Frankie Beverly before I let go. It's the cookout anthem. And if you're listening to this right now, I want you to put your car in park, hop out, get some white linen pants, and just two-step with me one time. Just get it going and and feel what it's like. Okay, it's summertime. It's a cookout vibe. Get you a plate. And when you come back, we're going to tell you some fucked up shit. So stay tuned. All right, folks, and we're back really quick before we jump into Fran, who was telling his story first this week. I want to let you guys know that uh, we are now scraping the bottom of the barrel for stickers. Um, This is the first run, so I don't know the next time these specific stickers will be available. I do. I am working on something else, you know, uh, for the next run. um, But I don't know when that will be. But these stickers that have been going out are in short supply now. And, you know, so if you want them, hit me up. And um, let's get let's get get them out there. You know, I just want them out there. I want you guys to have them. I want the, the photos. I like seeing them on all those. We saw them on people's cars. People putting them on their work computers. People putting them on their phone cases. I mean, it's just been really cool. So let's get them out there. And you know, they're free. Just hit us up. We'll give them to you. You know. So uh, all right. Anyway, Fran, it's yours. Take yeah. It away. So my for the murder this week is Lemuel Smith. Mm. Now, first of all, this guy's this is an African American guy. Okay. I mean. F- for his parents out there, I mean, I mean, what? what why? What was... Why? <laughs> why is his name like, Lemuel? Yeah, like, well, I, I want to know why. Really, in the French movies, or you're trying to be different? 
<laughs> you know, I don't understand. You know what's a cool name that's different? Joe Kim. You know, it's been heard before, mm-hmm. but it's not a common name. Don't just pull a name out of your ass. Lemuel? Lemuel. All right, Lemuel Smith. So Lemuel was born in Amsterdam, New York, in mm-hmm. a very religious African-American household. Mm-hmm. During later insanity claims, Smith stated that when he was 11 years old, he nearly smothered a nine-year-old girl to death. Wow. These claims was not substantiated, however. Okay. On wow. Jan- yeah. On January 21st, ni- January 21st, 1958, Dorothy Water Street, with crazy Dorothy. last name, Water Street, was robbed and beaten to death near Smith neighborhood in Amsterdam, New York. Wow. Evidence pointed towards the 16-year-old Smith, but the case fell apart when the distract attorney was too hasty and trying to and trying to extract a confession, and Smith was not arrested. Wow. Do the job right, man. Yeah. So during the following summer, while under while under continuing pressure from Amsterdam police, Smith relocated to where? Amsterdam. I mean, was it Amsterdam, New York? Yeah. Okay, that's where he relocated to? No, that's where he's from. Where did he relocate to? Yeah, just guess. Is it in New York? No. Miami. Baltimore, Maryland. Oh! <laughs> wow. My story is, it takes place in Maryland, too. Okay, okay cool. cool. Yeah. Well, I don't think this took place in Maryland. I just, oh, he's just... He, yeah. It's where he got... It's where he vacationed, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great place to come vacation, guys. Yeah. Come to the beautiful Inner Harbor. You know, I recommend. Blue waters, jump, dive right in, you know, take a swim. Great place to come. Yeah. So Smith re- relocated to Baltimore, Maryland, where he kidnapped a 25-year-old woman, beat her nearly to death. This time, a witness interrupted this crime. Smith left a leaving. Smith left a li- a living victim. Wow. Almost. Fuck you doing? Is it some dude? In <laughs> Yo, what the fuck uh, you doing, dummy? Yeah. <laughs> Yo, stop hitting on that bitch. Whoa. Hey, he. Even he got offended. He's like, "Hey, whoa, man! Don't you don't have to call out her name." Got bloody knuckles. Yeah, for the people out there that don't know the language here, dummy is like, "What's up, man?" Yeah. Just <laughs> dumbass. It's like what you doing stupid. That's your best friend talking to you right there. <laughs> so if you come here and you hear that, don't be confused. We're telling you right now. It's love. It's a sign of love. I'm not saying that we say it because we don't say it. I don't say that but, at all. Yeah. But I know it. I speak it. Yeah. <laughs> I understand so, it. I don't speak exactly, it. exactly. So, yeah. So, um, he left the living victim after a witness interrupted his crime. He was quickly arrested on April twelfth, nineteen fifty nine, and was oh. sentenced to twenty years in prison for assault. I didn't know this was that long ago. I didn't. I missed that. Yeah. Jeez. After nearly, so he was sixteen t- in nineteen fifty nine. Yes. Oh wow. Oh Jesus. Um. So after nearly ten years in custody, Smith was paroled in May nineteen sixty eight. He moved back to the capital district. On May 20th, 1969, he kidnapped... Now, he... Let me see. This is a very DMV-heavy episode. Yeah. So, um, he was paroled in May. And of then... 1968? Uh, yeah. And he kidnapped in May of 1969. So oh, like, right out. I'm going to take, oh, take a year A year off. late, yeah. And you know, I got to get gotta get back on my feet. <laughs> I'm going to take the know. exact year off. Yeah. It's my so. one-year anniversary. <laughs> it's my celebrating my one year out of prison. Right. So, he kidnapped and sexually assaulted a woman who managed to escape. So he's not even really good at no. being a. I don't. Even, is he just? Uh, you'll you'll tell me. Yeah. So later the so same, so far he's just a sexual assaulter. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So later the same day. Later the same day. Wow. Uh, he kidnapped and raped a forty-six-year-old friend of his mother. 
Come on. Yep. When the woman convinced Smith to let her go, he was arrested again and eventually sentenced to four sentenced to four to fifteen years in a New York prison. I wanna know what she said. How you do that to like your mom's friend? Yeah. Just snap, man. And also I think that And this is the same day after one of them somebody escaped, he went for somebody a little older. Yeah. A little less spry. This is later later that day, but I mean like emotionally, I don't think no, I'm not going to say emotionally. Maybe. I guess you could say that. Like, he's just... If, if you attack somebody, uh-huh. and then they hit a spot where it's like, oh, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Yeah. You know, we're close. And then you be like, wait, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Because yeah. he let her go. Yeah. So The I'm first not, girl. No, the, the, oh, the, the later the, that the, day. The, 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 the friend of the, the mom. friend of the mom. Yeah. Yeah, that was like... She definitely said something like, I used to babysit you. And he's like, right. you know what? This is wrong. Right. I need to go rape somebody who I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I need a break today. I'll come yeah, back you know what? I'm going to go ahead and just take a siesta. Yeah. <laughs> so Smith spent 17 out of 18 years in prison until a law yeah. passed by the New York legislator made him a free man on October 5th, 1976. Excuse me. But he served 17 out of 18 years? Yeah. So he just... <laughs> that law didn't really help him much. It's like... You know what, man? It's your lucky day. You get to get out a year earlier than you were about to get out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they really made it like he, they yeah. knocked off like yeah. five years. So on November 24th, 1976, the day before Thanksgiving, Robert Hederman, a 48, and Hederman's secretary, Margaret Byron, who was 59, were found brutally murdered in oh. the back of Hederman's religious store in Albany. Human feces was found on evidence nearby. Which later, which later proved valuable. Yeah, which later proved valuable. Smith was free and employed nearby, and hair and hair and blood evidence made him a main suspect. So he left shit, hair, and blood at the crime scene. Yep. Wow. Did he just like take a shit in the toilet? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. And then I'm but I gotta go, but <laughs> I gotta get this off real quick. I got the bubble guts. Right. Dead people I around. I can't hold it anymore. That's the dumbest shit. That, right. That happened in that Amanda Knox documentary, I think. That girl that, if I'm wrong, people hit us up in the Facebook group. I think it was the end of Amanda Knox documentary. Her roommate got murdered while she was uh, in like a, a like a one of those student exchange programs or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think she was in Italy or something. And the she they thought she killed her roommate, but then it turned out that they were able to you know pin it on this guy who broke in, and they say he killed her friend. And he took a shit in the toilet and left it in before him? he left back out the window that he broke into. Did he didn't flush? No. What? Trifling. Not only did you shit in somebody's house that you murdered, but you you shit and you didn't flush the toilet. Wow. That is disgusting. At least flush. At least flush. <laughs> don't shit in there and don't kill people. Right. But at least flush the toilet. Wow. Who raised you? Mm. Go ahead. That's disgusting. So on December 23rd, 1976. You wow. ever just stumble across with just some shit in the toilet? Oh. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have, yeah. That is infuriating. <laughs> you got to flush somebody else's like, shit? Oh, mm. <laughs> like, oh my bad. Breath? I put too much toilet paper in there. It's the clog. It must have clogged. I thought it flushed. <laughs> Animals. <laughs> yeah, so on December 23rd, 1976, while Albany police were investigating the double murder, Joanne Richburg, 24, was raped, murdered, and mutilated in her car 
at Colony Center Mall in Colony. Um, the, the pattern of brutality and more hair evidence made Smith the prime suspect in that murder as well, but he remained free pending, he, rem- he remained free pending investigation. So barely two weeks later, on January 10th, 1977, so he's, he's going at it. Yeah, he's going at so, it. So from 69 to, to now, he's just been m- yeah. ra- m- molesting people. Days and killing. weeks apart, yeah. Wow. Um, a a large man tried to lure lure a twenty two year old woman out of a gift shop in Albany. Wait, so the DNA and stuff that they're finding, they're not find, they're not match. They haven't made a match yet. Mm-mm, nope. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So uh, a large man tried to lure a twenty two year old woman out of a gift shop in Albany. When she resisted, he took her sixty year old grandmother hostage. Come on, man. So he took a sixty year old grandmother hostage and threatened to kill her. When help arrived. He threw the woman down, knocking her unconscious, and deliberately stepped on her hand, breaking it. Wow. Who is he, Nadama Kansu? I don't know, but it's even like she was, she was, I mean, she wasn't 90 years old, so he had to be a big guy for him to step on somebody's hand. To f- no, I mean, hand. 60, you're not. I mean, you know, osteoporosis could kick in at 60. To break her hand? That's I, a hand. Me, you know how many bones you got in your hand? You don't got to be that big. If you really <laughs> step on somebody's hand with intention... Oh yeah, you could break somebody's shit. I've you know I've only only <laughs> stepped on people's you know uh, ligaments by accident. But if I really cock back, you know that 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 stomp, uh, uh, cock back like <laughs> get your knee up at your at your chest and come down on a hand. He probably got like steel toe boots. Oh on. yeah, you could stomp off. Yeah, he's 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 out here hunting people. He definitely has some at least some Timberlands <laughs> on. You know. Yeah, oh yeah, you could fucking snap somebody. You could snap a young person's hand. You step on it with intention on hurting them. I think when I hear broken hand, I think like he like the bones came out. Every, no, no, oh, no, okay. Like he just shattered her whole hand. Well, it's a bunch of little bones. Yeah, it's the same but, thing. Like you could drop uh, a book awkwardly on your foot and break a bone in your foot. That sounds painful. Um, yeah. So he deliberately stepped on her her hand, breaking it. Years later, the grandmother saw a picture of Smith in the newspaper and identified him as having been her attacker. With the three. Murder investigation stalled on January 22nd, 1977. <clears throat> Excuse me. Marilee Wilson, 30, was found strangled and mutilated near train tracks in downtown... Oh, shit, I don't know what this is. Um, Shne- Downtown New York. That's what is this Schenectady? Yep. Yeah, that one's hard. That's hard <laughs> I don't know. Where is that near? I don't even know that's... That's like upstate. Okay. I've never been there. I think Schenectady might be near Canada. You might be really getting... Upstate a bit In Schenectady I like the way that sounds Schenectady Yeah I did a serial killer From Schenectady He was this Hmm. big fat guy With a gross house Who was killing prostitutes I forgot his name though Downtown Schenectady I really like that In New York So the horrendous Post-mortem Mutilization Mutilization Mm -hmm. (laughs) Was worse (laughs) than some Veteran investigators Had ever seen In in the region Mm. Smith was known to known frequent in the area and witnesses recall Wilson being by a lar- recall Wilson being a large man Schenectady police made Smith the prime suspect in her murder but why does it ta- why did it take so long it feels like this is not a big area that they live in and this guy has a record of of raping women right yeah but they got they already have hair 
And but like shit. it's like the seventies, right? Yeah. Is that mm-hmm. you know like it DNA? Was like the, it was like late sixties, early seventies. Yeah, so I feel yeah, like DNA might true. not have caught on heavy. Yeah, that's true. Like that's they true. had it, but it's like I think they still were like, well, we don't really have that stuff here yet. So I just like when I hear like they got evidence, I'm like, then well, use I it. Don't you have them? Yeah, that's the millennial in you. It's <laughs> um, like you you were bored in the seventies, so you went out and robbed a bank. Why didn't you just get on your iPad? It didn't happen. Uh, on August 19th, 1977, um, Marini Majayo, who was 18, who worked in the same area as Wilson, mm-hmm. was kidnapped and raped by Smith when he forced her to drive towards Albany afterwards. Wait, but this is after he already is a suspect now. Yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. He must not have known that. Just like. And this was, he did that one to Wilson in July 22nd. And this one is August 19th. <sighs> So almost a month. Just his apart. monthly book club of yeah, doing fucked up shit to people. So yeah, uh, she was she was kidnapped and raped by Smith when he forced her to drive towards Albany. Albany afterwards, police stopped the car and arrested Smith without incident. So she was caught. in the car alive. Yep. So he got caught. I mean that's good. I mean I wish it would have happened before she got know. raped. Yeah. Um. So a short time after Smith's last day as a free man, New York State Police looked at. F- uh, photographs of Marie Wilson and noticed that a mark on her nose might be a bite mark. Oh. Yeah. Wilson's body was exhumed and the bite mark was positively matched to an imprint of Lemuel's Smith bite mark. So he just... He, bit her nose? Yeah. yeah. And he also bit the other girl, too. So he's just out here biting people, shitting yeah. at yeah. crime Leading scenes. Hair. He's a Is he a dog? <laughs> Did you see a picture of him? Yeah, I seen a picture of him. Oh, okay. He looks like um, uh, what's the guy from the Roots? He looks like Questlove. Yeah, he got wow. like an afro. Like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. So around the same time, distant the, relative of Questlove, maybe Quest, Quest hate. <laughs> around the same time in late in late October 1977, Smith was transported by police to Bleecker Stadium in Albany. He and four other men were randomly placed behind five screens at one end of the stadium. Okay. At the other end of the stadium, a police dog was given a scent of the feces-stained clothing from the Henderman, the Henderman store murders 11 months prior. The dog crossed the entire stadium directly to Smith. Wait, Dude so you ran just the smell whole like... stadium. So you just smell like shit? Maybe he had shit on his clothes. Maybe what a maybe he was maybe he was spreading shit everywhere in the in the store. So he just had fecal he had, matter he like on his hands. He didn't wash his hands. He probably was just like put on his shirt. Oh, what a gross pe- What a gross person. I would hope I would be so <laughs> insulted that if I sh- took a shit at my house and then I went out in public and uh, somebody had a sample of my shit, if a dog could find me from my shit, I would be so self conscious from then. I'd be like, I, I stink like shit. I smell like that bag of shit that you just know that's me. That's crazy. That's disgusting. <laughs> that, is, that is disgusting. Yep. So the dog crossed the entire stadium directly to Smith. Out of sight of the dog, the five men were randomly rearranged, and the, ex- the experiment was repeated with the same result. It was successful. So the dog was like, no, nah, man, this him. This him. He smells like shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was Barb. successful a third time as well. So they did it three times. Wow. The bar, bar, man. Oh, this, this dude, this motherfucker smells like shit, man. <laughs> Damn. On March 5th, 1978, with the with the bike mark match, Smith confessed to five murders 
in an attempt to convince prosecutors of his insanity, of course, including the murder of Dorothy Water Street nearly 20 years earlier. I forgot all about that when it was, it was so... We went through so much that yeah. that was his first murder, I think. Or his first... I don't think he murdered the first he, person. He, he tried he, to. Yeah. Yeah. The confession was she given. Escaped. Yeah. The confession was given under the condition it be kept secret. However, police were permitted to follow leads provided by the detailed confession. So along with his confession, Smith revealed disturbing secrets about lifelong mental problems, including a claim that he suffered from multiple personality disorder. He attested to be, be he attested to being controlled by the spirit of his deceased brother, John Jr. Fraud. <laughs> I don't believe nothing about his motive or anything about him. Yeah, I don't believe it. Listen to this part. He said he was being controlled by the spirit of his deceased brother, John Jr. So now when you hear that, what do you what do you think? Possession, like a demon. Now, but when you hear that, do you think he was born before his brother? Right? Do you that you think that? Yeah, I think. Okay. Or I, at least I would think his brother his bro- his brother died before him. So, yeah. John Jr., who had died from encephalitis as an infant before Smith was born, like a baby. Yeah. So he's saying a baby is making him kill people before he even before he even exists. Smith even. Oh, exists. so that baby didn't even know you? No. He didn't even know the baby. The baby wasn't born yet. I mean, he wasn't born he yet. He wasn't born Smith yet. Smith wasn't born yet. He, was bo- he wasn't born yet, and the baby was dead before he was born. Yes. So the baby didn't know him, and he didn't know the baby. Yeah. So but he's saying that since the baby died before he was born, he took, his he, soul went into, you know, him. him. The baby got to do a real a redo, but yeah. went into him instead. Yep. And the baby was out here killing people. Yep. Come on, man. That's petty. I looked at him like, Come on, <laughs> put these handcuffs on, man. Are you done? Are you done with your story now? That's not even multiple personalities. That's a real person. Yeah. Most multiple personalities is like made up mm-hmm. parts of your brain that have like fragmented and, you know, to for tra- from trauma. Mm-hmm. You're saying you're possessed by a person. Yep. So automatically I'm like, it's already hard to try to sell somebody on multiple personalities. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, you're not even doing it right though. Right. So no. Go to jail now. <laughs> Nice try. Yeah. Um, so one counselor said that other personalities besides John Jr. might exist inside Smith. They also determined that he had suffered from multiple head injuries as a child mm. and teenager, and that he had suffered further mental abuse as a result of overzealous religious convictions, especially from his father. Mm. Originally, Smith, Smith's lawyer and doctors feared he might not be fit to stand trial. When he was determined to go ahead with the initial rape and kidnapping trials, two doctors testified to his delusions but stopped short of saying he was criminally insane. Smith was found guilty of rape in Saratoga and on March 9, 1978, he was sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison. On July 21, 1978, a four-day bench a bench trial in Schenectady ended, ended with Smith being found guilty of kidnapping and he was sentenced to another 25 years to life hmm. soon after Smith Unsuccessfully attempted suicide. Oh, yeah. So he tried to take himself out, but he didn't. He didn't. It didn't work. <laughs> he just can't do anything. With it. This guy's <laughs> a real. Kill himself, this guy's right? a real fuck up. <laughs> so in Albany, in Albany, Smith was indicted for the Hederman store double murder. He was found guilty guilty on February second of nineteen seventy nine and sentenced to another fifty years to life. When the bite mark evidence was presented in the Wilson murder case, 
Smith was indicted for her murder. He was also indicted for the murder of Joanne Richburg after confessing. After confessing, since there was already no chance of him ever leaving prison, the indictments were dismissed. That's crazy. So the murders, they just, they were like, I mean, you're already in jail. Right, so it's like. The death penalty, <laughs> I guess, was done for a bit. Might have been, I know it got reinstated in the 70s at some point, but maybe not in this state. But I guess that maybe wasn't not. even on the table. They just were like, I mean, you already have like 80 years, so. Yeah. You know I mean, at least we know you did it. Mm-hmm. So you did it, but I mean, hey, you're not getting out. So, yep. Um. So I'm not done yet. Okay. In 1981, Smith was in the maximum security Greenhaven Correctional Facility. Okay. On May 15, 1981, Greenhaven Correctional Officer Donna Payne was on duty when she received a phone call and told her coworkers she needed to take care of a problem. Her fellow officers returned to work at the end of the at the end of the shift to pick Donna up. When she never came out, hundreds of correctional officers combed the entire prison grounds okay. throughout the night and into the following morning. Oh, so she just was gone. Yeah. Trash dumpsters were emptied into the garbage truck, which two senior correctional officers escorted to a dumpster twenty miles away. When the garbage was spread out, officers finally found Peyton's mutilated body. So somebody killed her, threw her in the dumpster, and then the dumpster people came and took yep. the dumpsters away? Yeah, so I seen a video. So what they were saying was, it was a lot of shit going on in the prison. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm going to go, it goes that for a little bit. So the uh, the correctional officers was working with these inmates, uh-huh. selling drugs, yeah, all that inside shit, mm-hmm. getting them prostitutes or whatever. And at this time, around this time, female correctional officers was a new thing. And when she came in, she wasn't with none of that, you know. So she was like, no, she was fucking up the business. Right. And then in the video, it said one of the prison guards, she got in an argument with one of the prison guards that she wasn't doing what they wanted her to yeah. do. And they was getting in the fight. And I think what happened was they, the guy that she had argument with had a deal with one of the inmates. Uh-huh. Saying one of the inmates... With Smith, I think. She'll be in with this Smith. room at and, 8 o'clock, and yeah. we, the cameras won't be on, and yep. we'll have her go down there yep. by herself, and yep. so on and so forth. Yeah. So when I read, what happened was I read this first before I seen the video, so I was like, so he just killed her? Like, just no reason at all? Like, yeah. what the fuck? But when I heard that, I was like, now nah, this makes sense. It makes the business, sense. The business yep. was getting yep. fucked up. Exactly. Um, so it go. was the Yeah, so it was the first time the United she States... She didn't have to go. I'm sorry. I didn't take that back. But in their minds... She had to go. Right, right. So it was the first time in the United States that a female correctional officer had been killed inside a prison. More than 5,000 officers attend Peyton's funeral in New York, and New York Governor Hugh Carey officially vowed a swift response. Oh. The same examiner that observed the bite marks on Wilson coincidentally called called to examine the bite marks on Peyton's body. He quickly recognized the bite marks, and Smith was charged with with Peyton's murder. On June 6, 1981, a conviction for the charge carried a mandatory death sentence. And then it's like what one of the dummy. guys said in the video said, like, he didn't have great teeth. So it wasn't really it wasn't that hard, hard to, to match him. Yeah. To so match. Guess, the wow, teeth. that's only three teeth in this bite, Mark, you know? <laughs> like it was all jagged yeah. and whatnot. So I was like, <laughs> is that a snaggle tooth? You know, like, that's wild, man. That, I mean, uh, the only thing that makes sense to me is. Like, maybe the people that were involved in the business, both on the cr- criminal side and the corrections officer side, maybe they knew, well, you know, uh, 
Lemuel is crazy as shit. So mm-hmm. if she's going to be down there at 8 o'clock, I'll just, just tell him to go down there. He'll do what he does. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you get him alone in a room with a woman, he's going to do what he does. Yeah, so like Ray, Maybe he wasn't thinking about trying to make it not look like it was. He's like, no, nah, man, it's a woman down here. He's going to feed this monster. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So we just gonna, he going he gonna to rape her and then bite her and do all his shit that he does. And then the police officer will come in and pick her up. And throw her in the dumpster. And his dumb ass, they probably was like, look, man, you do this, you get the business running, get what you want, get to, get to, we get the prostitutes in here, and then, you know, you won't and get caught. I, and then I eat them, right? No, no. man, no. We just, <laughs> no, it's a business. You know, you can have sex with them if you want. Right, right, right. And then, like, you know, but if I want to, I could bite her on her nose. No, no, man, like, like a prostitute. You ever had a prostitute? Yeah, man, why do you think I'm in here? I kill them, and then I eat their face, right? You know, pussy, right? No, man. Uh, he, he tried to give him a high five. <laughs> you know, fuck bitches, right? Like, whoa, man, no. What are you talking about? Eat, no. You don't bite women? Talking about. Oh, well, he couldn't help it. I don't know what you do, man, but sounds like you're a virgin. He probably, you know, did what he had to do, and he probably, like, walked away, like, turned around, was like, wait. And then, like, bitter, and then, like, okay, I'm good now. I've got that urge on. Right. What a fucking, what a gross piece of shit. Yeah. Um, Biting people in the face and shitting. Yeah. So this was, had a high profile defense. The high profile nature of Peyton's murder brought high profile lawyers who was William Kunstler and C. Vernon Mason. Mason was later a main player in the Tawana Browley hoax, which was, I don't want to go too far into that, Uh but the Tawana Browley hoax was, it was a black girl who was 15. I can't remember the state she lived in. But she accused four white four white men of rape. Oh, but then it was a hoax? It was a hoax. And then Ooh. she she turned up dead. Whoa. Yeah, she turned up dead. And then, like, she was found with, like, she was, I think she was found um, brutally murdered. I, don't, I can't remember if she was raped or not. And she had racial slurs. They said she had racial slurs written, written all over her body. So if you want to look wow. that up, you can. It was crazy. Yeah, I was like, I was like, whoa. Yeah, it, it was crazy. Tawana Browley? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Whoa. Yep. So one of the lawyers that was in this defense had something to do with her case. Um, wow. Yeah. The team alleged alleged everything from sex by Peyton to guards dealing drugs inside and out the prison, none of which proved to be true. Sure. They were unable to ev- they were <laughs> they were unable to evade. Okay. So this part was so they funny. They were being investigated by people by their friends. <laughs> yeah. So. This part was funny because they was trying to fight for him, mm-hmm. but the only thing they couldn't beat was that bite mark. That bite mark came up multiple times in the trial, and they just couldn't. It was nothing they could do. Oh, it his was, lawyers? Yeah, it was nothing yeah. they could do to beat that that bite mark. They're like, they're like <laughs> holding the, the uh, X-ray up in the court, like, come on, hey, smile, hey, Lemuel, <laughs> do me a favor. If the if the if the if the court doesn't mind. Can Lemuel please turn to the jury and smile at the jury? Uh, and then he fucking had a bunch of pop rock teeth in his mouth, and they're like, he shows the jury like, look at this man. Right. This, these are the this is the X ray of his teeth. Look at his smile. Right. And then his and then his team goes for like a half an hour trying to like, trying to. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah. listen. Racism in this country is running <laughs> rampant. Are we really gonna pin this on Lemuel? Yeah. I'm look sorry, at him. Yeah, I'm sorry, Your Honor. But uh, uh you see look. this? Yeah. I rest I'm not my case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Then they go back to him again. <laughs> yeah, so uh, they, they were unable to evade the bite mark evidence. However, and even their own expert witness agreed that the bite marks on Peyton matched those on Wilson's body. 
Yeah. Due to the mounting and notoriety of the press, Smith was transferred to a different facility during the investigation phase. The capital murder trial finally began on January 20, 1983, more than 18, more than 18 months after Smith's arrest. The defense challenged testimony of inmates and other correctional officers and proposed conspiracy theories, but there was no answer to the bite mark evidence. Yeah, won't be. <laughs> Smith was found guilty on April 20, 21st, 1983, considered the only deterrent of prisoners already serving life sentences. A New York law at the time mandated that Smith automatically be sentenced to death. He was sentenced on June 10th on 1983. So, like, if you kill somebody in jail, yeah, that you automatically yeah. you gotta go. So, all, so other prisons like, God damn it, yeah, damn, fucking, fucking it up for everybody, man, <laughs> fucking the business up. <laughs> Shit, they hate what him. you did. They hate Lamar. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, on July 2nd of 1984, however, an appeal by Smith called the the um laws. Because the laws into question and was successfully was successful in commuting his death sentence to another term of life. I mean, and punishment for the Peyton murder and due to the threat he posed while in prison, Smith spent the next twenty years of his life in near isolate near isolation, mm. the longest such span in the nation at the time. Smith is incarcerated at the at Five Points Correctional Facility. Yeah. They don't have no no update on it. No. Yeah, well, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and assume he's dead. I hope he's dead. Yeah. You know, he's a so, piece of shit. So that was my further murder this week, Lemuel Smith. Lemuel. Wow. What a piece of garbage, man. Biting people, shitting. That shitting part is just so trifling to me. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. All right, well, let's keep it pushing, man. Uh, I enjoyed that. Uh, that was Francel's uh, affirmative murder this week. What we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break, and we come back. It's my turn to finish out the show, and uh, we'll see you in a sec. All right, folks, and we are back. Now, I'm about to tell my affirmative murder story, but before I do, I need to give you guys a heads up. My story does take place in the DMV, and for those of you who are not familiar with what the DMV is, that is the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, and I'm going to give you a little insight on that for what I know because I'm from Baltimore. It's different. It just is. You don't know, but it just is. So come with me on this journey. First of all, folks, if you hear anybody call you Obama, you might be in the DMV. It is not a compliment. They're saying that you are, you know, a, a bumpkin. You are trash. You know, your shoes are dirty. Your pants don't match with your shirt. You, can, you you're a Bama. You're a country folk. Okay, it's an insult. And if you hear that, you're probably in the DMV. Um, if you hear the term jump, jump. Now, yes. jump can be anything. It could be a type of object. Could be yeah. anything. If a girl can be a jump. Yeah. If they this bottle can be a jump. Yeah. If they be like, you know, hey, that right there, pass me that jump. And yeah. then you're like, what? It's like, it means whatever's next to you, give it to like, me. Just give it to them. Yes. It means you hand it to them. A jump is fill in the blank this. <laughs> right, exactly. If you hear that, you're probably in the DMV, okay? If you hear somebody saying uh, something about they got some dope dealers for on sale or some 227s for $99.99, these are terms for sneakers that are worn a lot in the DMV area typically with a North Face jacket, okay? It's just something they do, okay? It's DMV. Main man, 100 grand. I mean, that's... Sure. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of that, right? You know, you think that, and then you're not in the DMV, and you say that to somebody, and they're like, excuse me? So, main man, 100 grand, somebody come up to you, like, what's going on? Oh, somebody, you're next to somebody, you're with your best friend, and then you explain to somebody else, you know, this is my main man, 100 grand right here. It, it just means you guys has been friends for 
since babies. I yes. guess this is the close he was friend. In the diapers. You are a close. Yeah. You are a close friend of mine. You're best friends. Yes. Everybody know what that means. So it just means you're best friends. That's all that means. Yes. So that is a uh, basic insight into DMV. Also, if you're ever in the DMV, make sure you, any place you go that has chicken, make sure you ask for extra mumbo sauce. If you don't know what that is, they know, and they will then go, okay, this person knows something, so maybe they're not a Bama. So you'll get a little double little double entry there. They know you're not a Bama because you know what mumbo sauce is, and also you get the respect of knowing what mumbo sauce is. So, you know, uh, that's about all we know. We could be completely wrong yeah. because, again, it is not the same place. <laughs> I know it says Maryland in there, but Baltimore and Maryland, Baltimore and the DMV, totally different. Yep. What's playing right now? That's go-go music. We don't listen to that. I don't know. I don't know why they listen to that, but that's just you know. I don't insult people's music taste. That's their business, you know. My affirmative murder this week is a long one, and I'll get to it. It'll be, it will be revealed who it is eventually. I'm gonna keep it mysterious. So he's not black. You will all will be revealed <laughs> in time. All right. <clears throat> it was shortly past 2 a.m. on Monday, January 26, 2009, when Carissa Lofton, age 16, called 911 to report that she and her mother, Karen Lofton, age 45, had been shot inside their home located on the 10,000 block of Southall Drive in Largo, Maryland, a quiet suburb neighbored about 16 miles east of Washington, D.C. She told the dispatcher that they needed immediate assistance, whispering her plea for help into the phone, perhaps because the assailant was still in the house. When the police arrived at Lofton's two-story colonial-style home less than five minutes later, which is, that's a great response time, mm. there was no sign of forced entry. The front door was locked, but officers found a window on the side of the house that was closed but unlocked. An officer quietly crawled in through the window, his gun drawn, and let other officers inside through the front door. They searched the home room by room, but they realized soon that they had arrived too late. Carissa and her mother had been shot dead by an unknown intruder or intruders mm. who were nowhere to be found. According to Prince George's County Acting Chief of Police, Roberto Hillen, oh, I'm sorry, Robert, Roberto Hilton, there was nothing to suggest that anything had been stolen from the house, which all but excluded robbery as a motive. Homicide detectives arrived at the scene of the crime a short time after the initial investigating officers and began looking for clues. They found that Karen had been crouched down in a corner of her bedroom, apparently trying to protect herself, and believed that she had been shot and killed at the location in the upper portion of her home. Mm. Investigators concluded that Carissa had been shot in her own bed, also located on the second floor, her body found beneath the covers. So the daughter never even got out of the bed. So this, was this a targeted attack? Sounds it like seems it. that way for sure because they didn't, t they didn't take anything from right. the house. Exactly. So that kind of takes that motive out of the window of it just being some a robbery gone mm -hmm. wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, according to a report that appeared later on America's Most Wanted, their home security system had been activated that night. It was said that Karen Lofton never left home without arming her security system. But police would later conclude that whoever entered the Lofton home that night had somehow neutralized the system before going in. Mm. However, no one could explain how this could have been accomplished. It was also revealed that police believed that a suspect may have fled through a backyard window after the murders. 
Investigators learned that Karen, a school nurse, and Carissa had gone to church that Sunday on January 25th, 2009, and that Carissa had later gone to work at her job at the Golden Corral. It was reported by the Washington Post that family members said she was the last seen she was last seen leaving the restaurant at approximate, approximately 9 p.m. Detectives were unable to determine how Carissa had gotten home from work. Her mother typically picked her up, but it appeared that Karen had not done so that night. So they're basically saying, like, it's possible whoever killed her picked her up from work mm-hmm. and was able to get the get in the house that way. Right. You know, but they don't know. But they're just kind of trying to figure out how if her mother always does this. And that's not how she got home. Then how did she get home? Well, whatever happened, Which, yeah. they they knew who this person was. If the, oh, if they got in and the yeah. alarm wasn't, yeah, for sure. I think I think that can be that can you that can be presumed, mm-hmm. but that might not be the case okay. by the end of my story. All right. Um, at this point in the investigation, so much was still a mystery, and police were working under the theory that Karen and Carissa Lofton were likely killed by someone who knew them, but who? Karen's ex-husband, as well as other relatives and friends, were quickly ruled out as suspects. It was possible, of course, that whoever killed Carissa and Karen lived in the same neighborhood, but but no leads had been developed to support that possibility. The detectives noted that the neighborhood consists of a number of well-kept homes with large yards, and and it was a very quiet neighborhood. Twelve days earlier, and some five miles away, Another double homicide had occurred in a gated community of million dollar homes in up in the upper Marlboro area. Mm. In that case, Eunice Ba, age 36, and Seth Idu, age 40, had been killed in their home located on the 14,000 block of Turner Wooten Parkway. Idu had been stabbed to death and Ba had been had died from a gunshot wound to the head. Man. And this was only this was. A football throw, you know, not a football. You'd you'd be a god in football, but like five miles is nothing. That's mm-hmm. a that's a a, a brisk see. bike ride, right. you know. So not far away, another double homicide had taken place, you know, from where Carissa and Karen were killed. According to Hilton, despite public speculation, there was nothing to indicate that the deaths of Karen and Carissa Lofton were connected to the deaths of Ba and I do. But for me, that's why I don't think I could be a cop because I would just always be trying to put that red string yeah. everywhere. I'd be like, two people died here, it's two close. people died here. It's in the same vicinity. I'd just be having little post-it notes on a wall, mm-hmm. going crazy, smoking cigarettes. Like, I need to make the dots connect, you know? Losing my mind. And this is one person that you're talking about. So right what now it's one person. The, they, they they don't know. Right, they, okay. It, they believe that it could be a person or persons, right. but they, aren't, they don't know anything yet. Okay. I'm gonna go with two people so far. Fair, it's a fair assumption. You take the there's they're taking out two people, mm-hmm. so you know. Um, so Hilton said that this was an isolated incident, uh, which is what he said of the Lofton shooting and the and the um ba I do shooting. Meaning like they have separate. no connection. The, yeah, right. they're just okay. two two bad things happen close to each mm-hmm. other. It's just a coincidence. Um, this is not a serial killer. We're pulling out all the resources, doing everything forensically that we can. This is Hilton. So um, as time passed, the detectives still unable to identify a suspect in the killings, investigators began to consider whether Karen and Carissa had been killed by a stranger, which made the killings even more chilling. Not quite two months later, on Monday, March 16th, 2009, at approximately 4 a.m., 
a stolen Nissan Maxima was set ablaze in the driveway of a vacant house on the 11,000 block of Webwood Court in Largo, a house which had been for sale for some time. The car had been stolen from a home on Woodlawn Boulevard a short time earlier, only a few blocks away from where it was set on fire, and the police were actively searching for were actively searching for it when it was found. So basically, somebody's car got stolen. Mm-hmm. It was reported missing. So police were looking for it. And then it turned up down the street from that person's house, their car, mm-hmm. in front of a vacant house on fire. So imagine the Charger mm-hmm. gets stolen. Mm-hmm. You don't know where it is. You're looking for it for like, you know, a few days, maybe a week. And then it shows up at your next door neighbor's house. Not next door, maybe five doors down, mm-hmm. on fire. And you come out, what? Oh, my God! You know, so that, basically. Just to kind of put it into perspective. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I set that whole block on fire. That means. <laughs> I'm killing it. I'm everybody. <laughs> I don't care if it's vacant. Whoever lived next door, you did it. Somebody's going to get this curse out and this ass whooping. Yeah. Firefighters called to the scene, extinguished the flames quickly, but the... But by the time they had arrived, the car had burned so badly that the driveway's asphalt beneath it had been scarred, literally melted by the intense heat. Wow. Much of the Nissan's interior had been reduced to ashes, and the adjacent garage was also damaged by the blaze. So now the person who is selling the house is pit, you know, he just fucking mm. everybody up, you know. Uh, once the blaze was extinguished, firefighters began to scour the car for clues, believing that the an accelerant had been used to ignite it. You know, kerosene, how? gas. What? So how? How did how they? Do, how did they? How did, how did they drive? Like that? Say what? How did you test like that? Well, I mean, you look for like a, a like a place of ignition. So oh, if you okay. see like a bunch of rags in a pile, hmm, okay. you know that probably means they poured gasoline on that. Also, oh, I think right. you can test for odor of like of gasoline in the car. Oh, okay. But that's usually what they look for. Any kind of you can usually like if you look, you need to look for like the place where the fire started. Right. That's what every firefighter does when they get in the house. Mm-hmm. Some Most of the time, if it's not an accident, it's an outlet or the stove, something happened to the stove. But if you get to the basement and it's just, this is where it started, and it's just a pile of towels, mm-hmm. somebody probably lit the house on fire. Okay. So I feel like a good arson is pr- probably, you know, short circuits a microwave or something. Makes it look like an accident in mm-hmm. some kind of way as opposed to just, I'm going to pour lighter fluid on this old shirt I have and then... Put it on a pile of wood, and then eventually <laughs> they'll be like, "Oh, this is where the fire started." Uh-huh. Wood doesn't just set on fire, so somebody did this. All right. So that's what they were doing. They were looking around the car for clues as to, you know, if an accelerant was used or you know how the fire started. Um, did they use firemen for that, or they use somebody else? I that? feel like that's. I feel like that's either like a, a higher level fireman position or yeah. a different okay. thing. Okay. Definitely that's not what, the guys that show up with the hose. Yeah, maybe like the chief firefighter does that or it's a whole completely separate thing yeah so they were looking to see if they could find anything possibly gasoline but quickly made two morbid discoveries a charred human body laid in the back seat and another also of the car of the car and another also badly burned had been stuffed inside the trunk in the car in the car two bodies one in the back seat one in the trunk did they see that after they found out it burned so bad that they were like well that's a seat Wow. And uh, so they while they're while after the fire's out and the car's cool and they're poking around, it's like, oh, shit, this is a body. And then they pop the trunk and that body in the trunk was badly burned, but more recognizable as a person. That's crazy. 
I mean, I hope, I hope they were already dead when this happened. It is believed that they were. I will jump ahead and just to ease okay. your mind, you look fran- people. Fran looks very concerned, <laughs> so I gotta. Break, I gotta break out of the story real that's quick. That's like a fear. It I, is believed. It is believed that they were dead when they were put into the car. Yeah, that's a fear of mine. Of oh, being lit down. on fire. Yes. Oh yeah. Burning down. Oh yeah, for sure. Realizing they were dealing with more than a routine car fire, firefighters preserved the scene. So apparently there was nobody there yet. So I guess firefighters do do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So firefighters preserved the scene so that it could later be examined by examined for evidence and notified the Prince George's County Police Department that they had a, a suspected homicide on their hands. How, I'm sorry. But how can you burn two people? How can you light a car on fire and then swerve and then just leave? It's not something we could. And swerve means get away. I don't know if that's a DMV thing, but yeah, you got to make it clear. Yeah, you know, (laughs) to swerve, to you know, to dip out, to leave, yeah, yeah, to flee. Um, yeah, we these are questions we can't answer. Wow, you know, because we just aren't we we don't we don't think that way. It's just not in us. Sierra asked me something earlier about like how can you how can you do this? That's so that's so messed up. I'm like. I don't know. And that's I'm that's glad I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you do that. Mm. It's awful. I don't know how they do it, but obviously something's off. If you could you just do that and just go on like Yeah. Man, that, that'd like, well, I need to dispose of this crazy. evidence to think of just a body like I need to get rid of this evidence. And then go get Subway or something like yeah, that. You know. like, oh man, all that burning made me hungry. <laughs> I need to go get some Harold's wings with mumbo foot, sauce. I need a foot long. Oh. What? All right. I said Subway. Okay. Uh, when the <laughs> moving on, uh, when homicide investigators arrived at the scene, the smell of gasoline fumes was still very strong. One look at the bodies told them that they had been burned beyond recognition. Investigators could not even determine the gender of the bodies at that point. Wow. As a result, positive identification would have to be made by other means, which I assume dental work. Yeah, dental mm-hmm. records or thing. No, it had to be probably just dental records. Their yeah. fingerprints were probably burned off too. So, what teeth don't burn? I mean, it's bone, so oh, yeah, I would imagine. Right. No, that's I mean, right. it, it. you'd have to, like, be obliterated. I don't think a regular car fire could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was duly, it was duly noted by investigators that their new homicide case was in almost the same neighborhood where Karen Lofton and her daughter Carissa had been killed. Many of the... So now you're talking about two unidentified people, mm-hmm. the two African-sounding people mm-hmm. whose names are escaping me right now, and Karen and Carissa. So you're up to six people. Uh, many of the area's residents had become very concerned, even frightened, which, yeah, yeah, you should be. Uh, and they wanted to know what was going on in their otherwise peaceful community. Becky Ringizen said, it's scary to live in. I'm going to do, do it again because I'm going to do how I imagine uh, this. Is, uh, a tragedy. It's a terrible tragedy. It's scary to live in this neighborhood. She's got like a little uh, like a poodle. I'm like so freaked out to be here. Me and Duke. It's her dog. Uh, What's she having? Like a, a, a fucking Louis Vuitton purse with his head broken out? Yeah, in the bag. Yeah. Like on her, she's got it on, <laughs> hooked on her wrist. Like, oh yeah, me and me and Bruiser. Oh my God. We we heard about all those black people being killed. It's so terrifying. We're like, we're thinking about moving. It's awful. Uh,. <laughs> Uh, because of the case's close proximity to the scene of the Lofton murders, Chief Roberto Hilton would eventually be forced to rethink 
he would be, have to be forced with, with rethinking his earlier assessment that the Loftons had not been killed by a serial killer. That's got to be like, your job's got to be on the line as a chief of police when you have to backpedal something you said earlier about a serial killer. Also, oh, he's changing his mind. We now. had to come out and do okay. another press conference like, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I still am not sure that we have a serial killer, but we can't rule it out now. And they're like, we've been walking around in the streets. We didn't, why didn't you know? That's got to like, that's got to put your job on the hot seat. Yeah. When you got to come out and be like, yeah, no, I was wrong. So never mind. Stay at home and I lock mean, your doors. Two, what? Two, wait, he said that before the, the He said it to Karen Lofton. Okay, so and four then the people, two got people got murdered. Then the other two people were shot and one was stabbed, but in the same house. And he was like, nah, it's just an isolated incident. Uh-huh. And then a car just shows up in a nice neighborhood again, also close to every the other murders, with two burnt up bodies in the so car. that's four people that died. That's six. I mean, after- Oh, after, after Karen and- Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. There's four other victims right. after Karen and Carissa. Right. Yes. So after after, and then he had, after, after those, those after exactly. the burn ones, he had to yeah. be like, uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Be, yeah, that's what I mean. Mm, maybe this um might be uh I might be wrong. Oops. You like what do you say? Like, <laughs> guys, guys, hey, look, <laughs> I got egg on my face. You know, my bad. But um, let's move forward and let's lock those doors. You know, and uh, stay home. Get home by seven, and you know. Don't talk to strangers, right, guys? Teamwork. Oops. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to beat your bitch ass. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he said, this is a very, very strange case. This is unusual for this community. This is so bizarre. It's like, that's not giving people, like, you're not consoling people with these words. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so crazy, I don't even know what to do. And I'm the person that needs to figure this out. Yeah, like, all right, well, I guess we're all terrified now. Uh, Hilton said that his department had not seen that level of violence for the past several years. In addition to what appeared to be four homicides in a two-month period, the community had also experienced a number of property crimes and burglaries in recent months. He assigned additional detectives to help work the cases and said that investigators would work around the clock until they obtained some results. Not until they solved it, until they figure something out. That's the best he could offer them, which I guess that's good. Like, as a doctor, you're not ever supposed to tell a patient, we're going to cure you. Yeah. Because you're giving them false hope. You don't know that. Mm. So I guess him being like, look, we're going to work hard and hard and hard until we figure out something. Until we get a lead. Yeah, we're gonna we're <laughs> gonna work hard, hard, hard and not sleep until we get pointed in a direction right. that possibly could lead to a breakthrough in this case. Uh, I mean He's fucking up. Yeah, it's, uh, that doesn't When are you gonna catch the person that's <laughs> killing people? Right. Uh, hopefully, maybe sometime at uh, some point. In the near future. Yeah, hopefully. Like, what? <laughs> Who is this guy? <laughs> In the meantime, according to Chief Hilton, investigators were exploring the possibility that the bodies in the burned out car were those of another mother and daughter Mm. who had been reported missing only a few hours earlier. In looking at a number of missing person reports, detectives were also considering the possibility that the bodies might be those of two teenage girls from Anne Arundel County who had disappeared earlier in the month. Wow. So before the case could advance, they knew they needed to positive to, they needed to positively identify the two bodies found in the car. 
It turned out that a young woman, Courtney Hicks, age 17, had arrived at the Largo Metro station a few hours earlier on Sunday, March 15, 2009, just after 10 p.m. After spending the weekend with some friends, she sent her mother, Dolores DeWitt, age 42, a text message asking for a ride home, but there was no response. Mm-hmm. After making her way home on foot, so you know she was, wow. this is, this makes me sad because you know the whole way home she was like, I got to walk home now. Yeah. You fucking can't pick me up from the track. I called. I asked her. She said if I need a ride to text her, and I did, and she didn't call me. So she's walking home uh, to her house because her mom didn't respond to her text. Um, she got to her home located on the, on the 9700 block of Cedar Hollow Lane, and she found that her mother and her sister, Ebony DeWitt, age 19, were not home. Although it seemed from all appearances that they should have been. The lights were on inside the house. Ebony's jacket was near the door, and her mother's car was in the driveway. Oh, I can't. Oh, that just gave me the goosebumps, man. That is the most terrifying thing. Oh my goodness! To to come home, and mm. everything points to somebody being at the house, and they're not home. That happened to me one time when I was a kid, because my mom was like single and dating, mm. and I came home and like she had made me food. And the lights were on, and her car was in the front, mm. and I called her like ten times, man, and she didn't pick up. I guess she was on a date, you know, she's on a date, so she didn't want to pick up. But it's like I was so scared mm. because it didn't make any sense. Right. It was like, no, but like, where would you be? That drive me crazy. You know, like your car is here, the lights are on, there's food made. Why aren't you here? So that's crazy to walk in mm. and like everything is set up to where like people should be here right. and nobody's there. So uh, this girl's mother, this girl, Courtney's mother, Dolores and her sister, Ebony are both not home. So she got home and mom she walked and home and mom home. and her sister are nowhere to be found. But the house is like, <sighs> the house is alive. The mm-hmm. house is bright and lit up and people's jackets are on the coat rack. TV's on. TV's on. Oh, you know, that just, the car mm. is out front. The car is in front, out front of the house. Um, that's just bad signs. That's oh, a very oh, bad signs. Yeah. When she called out to them, no one responded. She checked their rooms, then left the house and began calling their cell phones. You know, I mean, you know, she was so panicked too, like calling your mom. Your sister's nineteen, so you're calling your mom, and your sister's not picking up either. When you know your sister always has her phone in her hand, mm-hmm. and she's not picking up her phone, and your mom's not picking up her phone. At the very least, you're like, they just found out somebody died. Mm. At the very least, if, even if your mind doesn't go somewhere dark, you're like, they are dealing with something very dramatic. Like, they're at the hospital right now because Pop Pop is sick or something. So I know that was a very frantic hour, two hours of her, like, pacing in front of the house, calling yeah. her parents For over me, over. it's going to go from, like, where's everybody at to? Something is wrong. Something is like something yes. is something yeah. ain't oh, right. Oh, for sure. Like for sure. At one point, Courtney asked neighbors if they had seen her mother and sister, but no one had. As a result, Courtney reported her mother and sister missing to the police. Late the following day, on Tuesday, March seventeenth, two thousand nine, the bodies found inside the burnt-out car were positively identified as those of Dolores and Ebony Dewitt. Mm. 
And police immediately realized they were dealing with a second case of a mother and daughter killed in Prince George's County under similar circumstances in less than two months. Although police were not yet officially linking the Lofton case with the DeWitt case, striking similarities between the two cases surged to the front to the forefront. Karen Lofton and Dolores DeWitt were were both nurses. Both of their daughters were teenagers the Loftons lived less than a mile from the DeWitt residence and each had been killed in the early morning hours on a Monday. Wow. I mean that for you to still be like, I mean, but we're not officially saying that these are related. That's, that's just way too much similarities, yeah. you know? But I think people get hesitant to like say that word serial killer. So, like, Oh, it, it, uh, everybody, everybody panic. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It would be, it would be pandemonium. Yeah. Hey, serial killer. Oh, oh what? Yeah. Shit. I'm going on vacation. Yeah. I'm oh. not coming to work. You know, like shit will shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the houses in which the Loftons and DeWitts lived had both backed up to cul-de-sacs, which is like, you know, you get to the end of the street and it rounds around mm-hmm. and there's no way. Like, you have to go. In order, like Derek lived in the cul-de-sac. You have to yeah. go down. And then if you want to leave, you have to go back out the same way. Yep. For those who don't know who the cul-de-sac is, like one way in, one way out. Uh, and both were located in very nice suburban neighborhoods. Neighbor Kay Walker, who lives across the street from the DeWitts, told Fox News that the DeWitt residence had been burglarized in December of 2008. Walker said they purchased a Wii and a brand new television and one other item, an electric item. And about a week later, those items were stolen. Showing their business. <laughs> It was a Wii and a new TV and something else in a box. I don't know, but, you know, they was all happy when they got it. I don't know. I don't, when they got that junk. That junk. Yeah. Uh, America's Most Wanted reported that police later confirmed that there had been approximately 40 burglaries since October 2008 in the neighborhood where the killings had occurred. Wow. And these, and these are, like, nice, nice neighborhoods. neighborhoods. Yes. Okay. Gated communities, okay. suburban homes, you know. Yes. Although the but police, I mean, you have nice stuff, so yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so I'm gonna come get it, right? <laughs> so it's mine. Uh, although the police did not immediately say how Dolores and Ebony had been killed, many in the area presumed that they had been shot due to earlier witness statements and the fact that Karen and Carissa Lofton had been shot. Police did issue a warning to area residents to immediately report to the police if they should come home and find that their house had been broken into and not go inside their homes to determine what had occurred before the police responded. Now, my question to you is, if you come home and your door is kicked in, do you go in before the police get there? No. Same. I may go, hello? (laughs) And be like, no. When, that's, <laughs> it, it, when it's too quiet, <laughs> you put say put some bass in. Hello, yeah. Hey, she's like, stay barking out crazy. Shit. Hey, <laughs> is somebody here? I do that in my house when I'm upstairs and I hear noise downstairs. I'd be like, hello. Oh, I close my door. What about that? What about <laughs> that? That day comes where it's like, yeah. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Like what do you what do you expect when you say that? Like I mean, you say hello and it's like nobody says anything, but somebody that day somebody's like, "What's up?" <laughs> Yo, what's up? <laughs> I got the goosebumps off of that. When I, when I if, for you to say that, I expect to hear nothing. Yeah, 
<laughs> so I know I should hit. If somebody go, yeah, I'd be like, oh shit, just have full on conversation. Gotta, what you doing down there? Yeah. I'm just, I'm just down here yeah, robbing you real quick. Shit, real quick. Hey, all you, right, hey, do you, just don't do come. Up, you, you're not allowed to come upstairs. All oh, right, that's cool. <laughs> hey, do y'all use these crystals and stuff, or this, this, uh, this silverware? <laughs> no, nah, man, just take, take whatever, oh, man. Just don't come man. up here. He said, wait, wait, when you see you here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You said you said oh, something. Man, you might get a, an answer one day. You that's never know. Man. That's <laughs> creepy as fuck, man. Uh, according to investigators, the DeWitt home was being thoroughly scoured for clues to what might have happened to their mother, to the mother and daughter. And detectives were planning to return to the Lofton home to go over it again as well. In the meantime, police were learning that many things had occurred simultaneously in different areas of the Largo neighborhood the morning of the car fire, all within a very short time frame. So this is where it starts to get like a movie, mm -hmm. okay? Within minutes of Felton finishing her report to the 911 dispatcher, the call reporting the burning car in the driveway of the vacant home three blocks away came in. So Felton is the woman who owns the Nissan Maxima that was stolen mm -hmm. and that the two bodies of uh, Ebony, DeWitt, and... Uh, and her mother, Dolor Dolores, I believe I said, their bodies were found in that car. Mm -hmm. Felton, whose name, her her first name, I don't know, her car is the car that was burned. Mm -hmm. But while she's talking to the police dispatcher about her car being stolen, another call came in about a car three blocks away from Felton being burned in a vacant driveway came into the police. Okay. So while she's like, somebody stole my car, mm -hmm. the police are getting another call saying, hey, there's a burnt up Nissan Maxima mm -hmm. in this driveway. As investigators processed all the information rapidly coming in, it was recalled that Felton's house had been burglarized on February 28, 2009, a Saturday, and that the key to her Nissan Maxima had been stolen during the burglary. Like, that's one of those moments when, like, if I lose a house key or I've never lost a key to a car, but if maybe you lose a whole key ring and it's mm -hmm. got a spare key to your car, a spare yeah. key to your house, you're like, I mean, if they really wanted to, they could come steal my car now. Yeah. And apparently that's what happened to this woman, Felton. Like somebody broke into her house um, like a couple weeks before and stole her spare key. Mm -hmm. And then weeks later came back around and stole her fucking car. I was about to say, when you said the, the date of the burglary, I'm like, oh, you said, um, you said the date of the burglary or when they found the car? Oh no! When she was when her house was robbed, I mean. Yeah, when her house was robbed was in February. Right, that's what I mean. But uh, this is in like March. It's like a it's like a that's little I, yeah it's, yeah, it's, okay, it's like a little I mean. it's like a little bit later on. Yeah, that's but that's not what I mean. a lot of time, but like enough where you go, damn this motherfucker came back, like that's where crazy. you know it's connected. That's crazy. Yeah, so it feels like. Wow, was that planned? Like wow. I'm gonna take this key and I'm gonna come back a month later. I'm gonna come get the car. That's crazy. That's. That's a lot of thinking right there. Yeah. Uh, strangely, nothing else had been reported as missing as a result of the break-in. So he broke in and stole the key. And that's wow. it. But investigators now believe that the person or persons who had stolen the key had returned to steal the vehicle, abduct Dolores and Ebony, kill them, and set the car on fire with their bodies inside. So the police are now like, whoever stole this woman's key and her car planned to use yeah. the car to kill to kill Dolores and, and, and Ebony and put them in the car and burn the car. Mm -hmm. It was all it was all a plan is what they're they're going with now. That's crazy. Which is that's well thought. I mean, that's well thought. That's out. what I mean. I man. mean, that's so meticulous. Like, I'm gonna take the key now. I'm gonna come back in a month. 
I'm going to kill those two, put them in the car, wow. drive the car kind of in the same area, and then burn the car, burn all the evidence, my DNA, everything is gone. <clears throat> it was a complex case, but the detectives, some of Prince George's County's finest, knew they had to unravel all the details to determine what had actually happened that night. And they were confident that they would eventually do so. Investigators were nonetheless baffled as Dolores and Ebony's location from the time Courtney returned home at 10 p.m. until 2 a.m., which is the earliest time that Felton told investigators her car could have been stolen. They knew that Dolores and Ebony had not driven themselves away from their home in that time since Courtney had found their own car parked in the driveway of their home. It seemed likely that they had already been abducted by that time. So basically this is saying between the time that uh, Courtney got off the train at 10 to 2 a.m., which is that space where she's looking for her parents and calling around, they had to have already been gone. But he must have used the Nissan to abduct them because their car was in front of the house. Right. So when she got home and everything is the same, it's like, how did they go? He picked them up in the Nissan, maybe killed them at their house. That is that is still, maybe that'll get cleared up. But He could have used their car. But maybe he was like... That's what I mean. It, it was The plan was so thought out. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's so organized. Right. Yeah, like maybe using their car was a, would have been a bad idea mm-hmm. in some kind of way that he thought of. Or just threw the police off. You know, just, yeah. even just that, just throwing the police off is, is what it did. Well, maybe if he took the car... Not saying, you know, if, you know, just to be clear, if I... Right. This was me. Uh-huh. If he took the car, even if he was like, okay, maybe I need to delay, delay some time mm-hmm. of them finding out. He took their car. Yeah. And then she gets home and is like, oh, well, maybe they went to the store. Yeah. And she don't call the police as, as fast as she would have. more time. If, right. See, that's how I know I don't think like this because if it had been me, again, to be clear, we don't get down with anything like this. I would have burned the whole house down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I would have burned the whole. I don't know. Like, I did something really bad here, so all of this has to go. I w- I just wouldn't have thought of. I'm gonna take this key, hold it. Yeah, and I then just, come back a month later when her, is, when she least expects it, when her guards back down because she forgot a little bit that her house was broken into. Now I'm gonna come back and get the wild. Nissan, and then I can commit my murder. That's I mean, it's, it's, it's wild. <laughs> so you know, it's very meticulous. Yeah, man. it's very well thought out. It also puzzled police that the driver of Felton's car, of Felton's stolen car, was able to drive past Felton's house, park the car in a driveway of a vacant house, set the car ablaze using an accelerant, and escape from the crime scene on a dead-end street without being seen by anyone in less than 10 minutes. So he par- the car was parked in the block where he stole it from? Yes. This dude is so nuts that he doesn't even like look at the house he stole the car yeah. from, he just... He just keeps on going. Yeah. Just keep on. And he doesn't even like, well, I stole it from him, but I'm not even. <laughs> What's she going to do? Come confront me? I'll kill her. God, you nice. got that kind of confidence? Oh, yeah. Who's going to come talk to me? I will murder them if they give me problems. That's got to be a kind of a free way to live where you're like. You have no fear. Oh, yeah. Anybody or anything. Uh, road rage incidents. Anybody trying to confront you and cut you in line? You're like, oh, I'll, I'll murder you. I, I hope somebody cuts me in line so I can follow them to their car. Hit them over the head, 
put them in the trunk of their car, and then drive away and murder them and then burn their car on fire. And, Those are the thoughts that some yeah, people walk around having. Yeah, and to piggyback off that, it's like, I don't think other people think about that. No. It's like, you're going to be a, a, a dickhead to somebody like, that person may kill you. you yeah. Maybe fuck with the wrong person. Yeah, it might that might not it might be the wrong day. Something might have like, you don't know where that person's coming from. You might be in Starbucks line and that person's kinda looking, taking kinda long looking at the menu, and you're like, Oh, can you hurry the fuck up, you dickhead? And and he just his wife just left him. Yeah. And you look like his wife. And I don't think people think about that. And I think they should. They a hundred percent should. <laughs> I think about that all the time. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I'm not going to fucking, somebody like honking at me hard. You know, I'm not going to like roll the window down and start cussing them out or something like that. They could fucking blow me away. That's why we got to think, you got to always be on the lookout, yes. man. You don't, you don't never know, man. <laughs> you don't ever think that shit can't go. You can't ever uh, expect somebody to re- react the way you think they're yeah. going to react. You need to think out. What I do is I like to think out. Like, I think so much. Like, I sometimes I think the whole process of stuff out. Oh, yeah. Like, if I... I'm not going to get that guy a middle finger because he might be crazy. Yeah, he, he might follow, follow me home. Where... You don't exactly. know, man. You don't know. <laughs> you can't. I think every. I think there are a lot of people, and you know, some of you guys might be listening that are like this, that you go, well, this person just cut me off. So if I pull up alongside them and flip them off, they'll just know I don't take that shit, and then they'll go on their way, and I'll continue to go on my way. That's what you think he's going to do, or she. Yeah. That is not what they might do. They might go, Oh, you want to disrespect me? Okay, well, I'm going to get this crowbar from under my seat, and I'm going to bash all the windows out of your car. Yeah, it's just like, you could be like, and you're here, you're like, this guy's not going to do anything. Yeah, but you it's don't like, know. 95% of people may not do anything, but that 5%, oh, it could ha- it can happen. It's just, fi- if you want to, like, oh, it's just, I just don't think people just, people just take stuff for granted. There's too just- many people in the world to, when you talk about statistics, <laughs> when you talk about, like, 5% of, of, of Maryland... <laughs> You're talking about millions of people. Oh, I just don't think people you really do. want to take the risk of of walking around millions of people and being like, "There's no way this person is the person that might fucking take my energy the wrong way." Like, no, a hundred percent, it could be the person. Mm. Mm. Anyway, just guys, don't 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 expect that you know how somebody's gonna react to your yeah. energy. Just don't. You don't know, especially because you could be you could run into the wrong one. Yep. That doesn't take anybody's energy the right way. It may not be the wrong one. It may be the wrong day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you might be a, you might have run into a guy who nine times out of ten, if you uh you know stepped on his shoes, he usually wouldn't do anything. But he just lost his job, and before he right before he lost his job, he got a nice check. And he was like, you know what, man, I'm gonna treat myself to some nice shoes. Mm-hmm. And now he just got fired, and those shoes are the only thing he got left. And you just left a big ass scuff on the on the tip of his shoe. Yeah. Now you're gonna get beat in front of everybody. Just because you, you you caught the guy in the wrong moment, man. Yeah. You don't know, man. You just don't know. Within days, within days, the police began asking the public to help them make some sense out of the tangled web they had they were dealing with and offered a $25,000 reward as an incentive to get witnesses to come forward. A similar reward was also offered for information about the Lofton murders. Unfortunately, there were no takers and investigators decided that they would reinvestigate all of the burglaries that had occurred in the neighborhood because there had been like 40. Mm. They would reinvestigate those to try to sniff out additional clues that might put them on the trail of a suspect for the killing. And when there's $25,000 on the table and you don't get any leads, that means this guy's good. Yeah. I mean, it ha- that's the only thing that makes it. You don't get anything? 
this guy's good. You got to give credit where credit is due. Because $25,000 is on the table. If you did it, you're going to jail, man. If I know you, you did some shit like that, Dang. you're going to jail, man. All right. You're going to jail. You know what kind of shit? You know what kind of fly-ass costume I could buy with $25,000? Wow. Be out there in a dress like Jimmy Neutron. You hear this, full, people? You hear this, people? With a life-size Jimmy Neutron head. Do you hear this, oh, people? so you want me to cover for you when you out here robbing people and killing people? Maybe. Nah, we're going to move on. Just say you don't know anything. What? Nah, I'm not Cameron. And this is not uh, the Stop Snitching campaign. <laughs> I'm a snitch. If you're doing out here doing illicit, <laughs> illegal things, killing people, no, you're going to get snitched on. Wow. Proudly, I'll proudly, I'll proudly snitch on you. Wow. Sir, that man is a murderer. Uh, despite the similarities between the Lofton and DeWitt homicide cases, an FBI profiler told Prince George's County detectives that the slangs that... The slangs they were investigating were not the work of a serial killer. Wow. The profiler went a step further by concluding that the two double slangs were not connected at all. According to reports that appeared in the Washington Post, the profiler said that the case's similarities, the similarity between the cases were just a weird coincidence. Although detectives would not say much and everyone agreed that nothing would be entirely ruled out, there were fundamental differences between the killings and the methodology of the killer in each case. So basically because somebody got shot, somebody got stabbed, somebody got burned, the profiler came in and was like, yeah, guys, no, that just everything that I know and the science that I know says that this is, these are not connected. I don't believe in weird coincidences. I don't either. <laughs> if, if, if my, if the person across the street from me got killed, and then somebody five doors down from them got killed. And then two months later, somebody like the next street over got killed. I'm that's connected to me on a Monday on all of them. Are on a, <laughs> all of them are on a Monday. I don't care if one of them was shot. One of them was drowned, whatever. It all happened every Monday. Come on, man. That's a coincidence. Come on. Man. I, <laughs> I couldn't, I, that profiler with all his degrees and years of experience. I had to be like, I mean, you see all this shit we got on the board over here. Monday, the car was stolen from here then and then came back on the same block with two people in it. It was a mother and a daughter. It, it's in the same neighborhood. Nah, it's just a weird coincidence, man. I'm the FBI. I'm not trying to hear that. I don't give a shit which one. I'm not trying to hear that. <laughs> We've got the pieces to the puzzle, Detective Anthony Shartner said. Uh, now we just need somebody to tell us where the pieces go. To tell us why it makes sense. So you need somebody to do your job for you. You know what I mean? Like, And I understand like, if you can get some tips and everything like that, but don't say this to the news. It just makes you sound incompetent. It's like, I mean, we got all this, we got all these facts and stuff, but like, we, we don't know where, what do you, like, we don't know how they go. Do y'all know? Okay, so what is your, what is your job exactly? What, what is this, a Nick Jr. show? Like, <laughs> do you guys know how this is supposed to go? And we're supposed to go, yeah. <laughs> It's on the mountain or whatever, you know, like, come on, man. Don't say that out loud. Just say like, don't say on the record that you don't know what you're doing. No. Say it, say it in a room and then continue to go. We're looking for any tips to try to help us, you know, solve this thing where, you know, any help would be w welcome. But to go, I mean, like we have a puzzle in front of us, but we just need somebody to tell us how to put the puzzle together. In that case, hire me to do your job. That's what I would say. You would say that? Yeah. You specifically? Yeah. Okay. 
What? Just based on your history with puzzles, I don't really think that you're the person that should get called to fix. To okay, solve maybe a what? Maybe not me. Yeah, like, maybe help somebody else. I was like, to solve a puzzle? If it's a murder, I can solve it. Wow. Maybe not that one. But um, some murder. Yeah. <laughs> all right. One. I can murder. I can solve this one. This one. Yep. Of all the ones, this is the one you can solve. Yep. This is a pretty complicated one. <laughs> that's very com- that's 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 big dick energy you just put out on the table wow. right there. I don't know if that's still a thing, but it was. It was a thing. Whoa, hey I don't man. Know that thing. Whoa, man, sit back down. I, look, we're gonna wow. finish the podcast. I I didn't mean it like that. I'm just saying it was a thing that people were saying. Who on Twitter? They were. It was a thing, man. It was. I swear. No, it was a thing, man. We're gonna we're gonna move on. We're gonna just move past that, man. You know, I'm gonna cut that. I'm just gonna cut it out and um, please do that. Yeah, I'm gonna cut that out and we're just we we're gonna keep it rolling, man. Okay. So um uh Nelson and Charlotte worked closely on their respective cases and shared notes about everything they uncovered, despite the fact that developments had taken them in very different directions in their pursuit of a suspect. In the Lofton case, for instance, the victims had been shot and the killer seemed to be considerably more organized than the killer in the DeWitt case. Now, the Lofton was the mother and daughter who were shot in their house and the DeWitt case were the two were the mother and daughter who burned in the car. Uh, Although police at the time had continued to keep the details of the DeWitt case from the public, AOL News later reported that the that Dolores DeWitt and Ebony had been ex- as who uh AOL news yeah i don't yeah <laughs> i didn't even know it was still around 2009 this is 2009 but you know whatever i'm gonna, I'm gonna hit that again uh AOL news later reported that Dolores DeWitt and Ebony had been asphyxiated <laughs> before their bodies were torched in the car and in that case the killer had seemed much more disorganized in his actions Shartner eventually revealed to the Washington Post that the DeWitts were dead prior to being uh, prior to their bodies being placed inside the stolen Nissan Maxima and set ablaze in plain view of the neighborhood. Shartner also revealed that the investigators believed that suspects, the suspect or suspects had fled the scene by escaping into a nearby backyard and running into the woods. I was about to say, how the hell did they get away? They ran through the cul-de-sac. Yeah, I was about to say. I guess they ran through the cul-de-sac. Uh, a theory supported by a canine unit's discovery of a scent trail along the route. According to Special Agent Claire Weber, a spokesperson for the Baltimore Field Division of the Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives, J.C. Arms, a gun shop in Woodbine, Maryland, had been robbed of guns and other items in May 2009. The ATF's investigation of gun theft had led them via an informer to, jo- to Jason Thomas Scott, age 27, part-time worker for the United Parcel Service. The enemy. The ops. <laughs> Fucking doo-doo brown suit. Let me see it, doo-doo uh, brown. Let me see it, doo-doo brown. ATF obtained a warrant and searched Scott's residence. Items found inside the house where Scott lived with his parents and sister during the ATF raid included computer files, a set of BMW car keys, mm. a dozen guns, mm. a police scanner, mm. a silencer, and a bulletproof vest. Mm. So, um, yeah, like, ding, 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 ding. I would think you go in there and you're like, well, yeah, this is the guy. Wow, we did it. High-fiving. Right. I know you got to go do m- more steps, but you're like, this is the guy. Right. Jesus Christ, that's a lot of stuff. Some of the items allegedly had been taken 
during break-ins in the area where the homicides occurred. According to what law enforcement officials told the Washington Post, ATF agents also found what could be considered a burglar's kit, a crowbar, tool gloves, and a ski mask. During one of the searches of Scott's residence, police found a flash drive that contained photos of a naked young female with a pillowcase over her head that they believe was connected to a June 13, 2009 Fort Washington incident in which a young woman and her mother returned home and found a man holding the young woman's younger sister at gunpoint, according to court records. The perpetrator allegedly ordered the older sister into a bedroom, forced her to remove her clothes, took nude photos of her, and sexually assaulted her. Scott was arrested in July 2009 in a UPS parking lot on the weapons charges and subsequently indicted on federal carjacking weapons and sex charges. So he got locked up in his doo-doo brown suit. <laughs> is it is it like that? I mean, I know your postal gang. You 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 you, you know, your mail gang. So is the UPS like is that is that the enemy? Is that the ops? No? Okay. Well, I, I wish you would have told me that sooner. <laughs> Cuz um no. When they come to my house, I tell them, "Take whatever that is, take it to the post office." And have them bring it to my house. And they're like, we just need you to sign. I'm like, I'm not signing anything. Take it to the post office, and then they'll bring it here. No. So I don't really have the best relationship with my UPS guy. I wish you would. I thought it was like, fuck them. No. FedEx, all of them, it's just y'all beep each other when y'all see ride past. Beep each other, yeah. And then also they do like, they kind of work together. So like UPS gets smaller parcels. Okay. And they bring it to us. Oh. We, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, okay. Well, shout out to all the UPS guys. I'm sorry I didn't. <laughs> I didn't mean to come at you with that kind of energy. I thought I was just being a good friend. Nah. Um, <laughs> Scott was held on the federal charges and remained in custody while Prince George's County homicide detectives built their case against him. According to AOL News, Scott of Upper Marlboro, Maryland, who lived in a suburban colonial home near the DeWitt home, was allegedly selling weapons out of the trunk of his car. So not only did he work for UPS, but he also was selling weapons on the side in the streets. And these and, and 14 of these guns were stolen guns that included. So they were stolen from that gun store. Shop, right. Yeah. So 14 of those guns were stolen and they included pistols, assault weapons, silencers and machine guns. So he was selling heavy weaponry on the streets. So he had a fucking full arsenal. Yeah. Uh, following an undercover operation in which an informant bought four guns from Scott for $3,000. What? Yeah. <laughs> hey. Wow. Illegal weapons, you make bank. Uh, three of those guns allegedly came from the gun store in Woodbine that had been burglarized. Scott pleaded not guilty and was scheduled to go to trial on, on the federal charges against him in November 2010. According to law enforcement sources, Scott was a brilliant criminal who had studied forensic textbooks and had changed his modus operandi, which is his motive, mm -hmm. to throw investigators off his trail. He was allegedly so well versed in forensic science techniques that he was able to clean up crime scenes and use his knowledge to confuse detectives and deceive an FBI profiler into, into believing that the crimes were not connected. Scott reportedly holds two master's degree, one in information systems management from the University of Maryland, according to ABC News. So basically, 
everything that we said in the beginning about they thought it was different people, the FBI profiler said it wasn't connected, he did that. He made it seem that way on purpose to throw off the detective. Well, this dude is by far not stupid. Yes, far from it. <laughs> That's why I said I had to give him his props with the, the 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 stealing of the car and then coming back, or stealing of the key, then coming back for the car, and then doing all of that in the same day. So you you got rid of the car before it was even reported stolen. You know, it just this guy's dang. This guy was dangerous. Then he came back on the same block. And he was a, he was being an asshole too. Oh yeah, you know he was taunting her. He now I think about it, he probably did look at her, <laughs> look at her house when she when he rode by. Yeah. Ooh, oh, fake like oh beep beep like pretend like he's gonna honk the horn. Oh no, I'm in your car. Oh 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 no. While I don't want to glorify his intellectual capacity, I will tell you that he is a challenge to us," said uh, said Hilton, the chief of police. Investigators theorized that Scott had led a double life, working at a UPS sorting facility by day, correcting addresses on packages that were returned as undeliverable, and allegedly carrying out criminal activities by night. Police alleged that he utilized his computer skills to research law enforcement forensic procedures to help him cover his tracks. I'm, I want to know how... Again, I don't know how people... We, 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 uh, us and those type of people think on a different wavelength. For sure. So how do you do this stuff and then you go to work and you can still hear people talking about it Yeah. at work and you're like, man, that's crazy. You know, that's what they say. Did y'all hear about that? They found those two bodies in that car burned up. You're like, what? Man, that's crazy. I bet whoever did that though, he was probably real smart. And they're like, yeah, I mean, I guess. That's crazy. Like, anyway, and, I got to get back to these packages. Right, and then after all this over, it's like, I was working beside that guy this whole time. That's, that's in there a little bit. Oh, yeah. Okay, all right, cool. Police also said that he may have had used the UPS database to learn about his alleged victims. And investigators now believe he used bleach to clean his crime scenes and started fires to destroy evidence, which, yeah. They just, yeah, anyway, whatever. Good job, guys. Those who worked alongside Scott at UPS were shocked at the news. Of course, you know, it's always, all the time. Mm. And uh, what, what, what's the, what they say? <laughs> that, what else? Quiet. Yep. His co-workers said that he was quiet and mostly kept to himself. He always came to work, said one co-worker who did not want to be identified. <laughs> He's not killing me. I don't, <laughs> I don't want him to know that I said this about Smart him. Smart guy. Yeah. He was never anyone that caused any problems. If you asked him to do something, he did it. He was extremely fast at typing. As far as employees go, he was pretty good. Now that you think about it, it it's scary. Mm-hmm. He said, he's like, but don't blur me out. Don't say, <laughs> don't say my name. Or I don't want to be identified. <laughs> Scott was charged on July 27, 2010, with the murders of Dolores and Ebony DeWitt after a Prince George's County grand jury returned a seven-count indictment. In addition to the murder charges, Scott was also charged with two counts of burglary. He was convicted and sentenced to two life terms on January 12, 2012. Clearly, this was a gruesome double murder that really shocked the community, said Prince George's state's attorney, Glenn Ivey. I hope that this indictment will help bring some sense of calm to the community. Police suspect that Scott is also responsible for the deaths of Karen and Carissa Lofton, 
but he has yet to be charged in that case to this day. Still is not charged in that case. So I don't know if. So he was charged for. He was charged for the car, the car burned bodies, Ebony DeWitt and Dolores DeWitt, what which is the- crazy to me because Carissa Lofton and um and Karen were shot. So that means he did. Wait, so did I miss something? What happened to the Africans? They weren't able to connect that at oh, all. Okay, they weren't. They, wow. That might have been, that might have been a, a coincidence. But this guy's his moniker is the mother daughter killer, hmm. and Karen and Carissa were mother and daughter, and, and Dolores team. and, and right. Ebony were mother and daughter. They just couldn't find any evidence that they believe that he did it. They just haven't brought him up on charges. He's serving double life, but like they have a that's just shows they how have good a, he was. They have a sister out there, you know, the sister who came home and found him. Like I'm sure she wants justice for her family, but you know they can't they, even. Wow, that's they they aren't gonna. They haven't. They haven't. They haven't. Um like charged him with that yet. Wow. So yeah, that was the that was the story of uh Jason Thomas Scott. And you said he was black. He was black, yeah. That might be one of my favorite ones. That, that dude was like he was an really assassin. Smart. He was an assassin. He was That still in the car shit and come back is just crazy. Wow. Absolutely insane. All right. Well, um this has been a long one. Yeah. But <clears throat> we can't get out of here. Without uh, doing a little something. Again? Ugh. Every time, man. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, cool. And now, it's time for True Crime's Hottest Game Show. Frazzle Friend. Frazzle Friend, Frazzle Friend. Solves a riddle like no one can. If he fails, that's okay. He's a superstar either way. Look out. It's time to frazzle friend. That's right, folks. It's time for America's favorite true crime game show, Frazzle Fran. Because nothing entertains me more than me telling Fran something complicated and watching him get flummoxed, frustrated, and frazzled. So, Fran, are you ready? I mean, I guess. Okay. <coughs> A murderer is condemned to death. He has to choose between three rooms. The first, full of raging fires. The second, assassins with loaded guns. The third, lions who haven't eaten in three years. Which room is the safest room for the murderer? Okay. (laughs) The first room is on fire. Mm Mm-hmm. The second room is loaded with guns. An assassin and an assassin is in there. So as soon as you walk in, he already has the upper hand on you. He has a gun. Okay. And then a lion that hasn't eaten in three years. Mm-hmm. And what, what, what's the beginning part again? He's a murderer who has been condemned to death, and he has to go into one of these rooms. Oh, he got to choose one. Mm-hmm. And which one is the safest room? Which one is the safest room? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um... Fire, I mean, he could burn it. He could. Raging fire. Okay. Raging. The lion, how many of them is it? Three. And they, they haven't eaten in three years? Yes. They haven't eaten in, so that means starving. they're starving. Okay. And where is he at right now? He's in jail. He's in jail. Mm-hmm. He's he's in jail, but he's in front of the three doors. He's in front. He has to go in. He one has of to them. go in one of the doors. And the middle one is the assassin, assassin with it's, guns. It's Liam Neeson. 
Okay. Taken. And he's got a gun loaded as soon as you open the door. What kind of gun is it? It's a gun that fires bullets. Fires bullets? Yeah, it's a gun. So a it real could be gun. a pistol or it could be anything. Sure. How many Whatever bullets? kind of gun you wanted to How be. many bullets he got? A clip of bullets. A clip of bullets. More than enough bullets for you. Okay. But it's whatever kind of gun you want it to be. Hmm. But he has to go on one of them. He has to go on one of them. Which is his best choice for survival. Hmm. Okay. Let's see. He's three of them. Mm-hmm. In the middle one is an assassin. Yeah. The toughest one you could think of. Okay. And the first one is Raging Fire. A Raging Fire. Four alarm. Four alarm fires. One. One is the safest room for him to go into? Mm. I just wanted to make sure that's what you're saying. Wait. Nah, the last one. The lions. <laughs> Folks, he's done it again. That is two <laughs> weeks in a row. <laughs> he is successfully... Yeah! We have not been able to frazzle Fran this week because if a lion has been in a room for three years starving without food, it's dead. Therefore, it's the safest room to go in. It's just three dead lions in there, folks. I wasn't able to frazzle Fran this week, but tune in again next week where maybe we'll be able to frazzle Fran. Folks, again, uh, don't forget Serial and Serials this month. I will be putting out a poll on the Facebook group uh, with some movies um, to vote on. Uh, we had some a couple of fan suggestions, so I'm going to put those in along with some ones that I might want to watch, and then you guys vote on it, and then some point this month we'll be doing another Serial and Serial. And, uh, you know, uh, we'll see you guys again next week. And, uh, Fran, take it away. Deuces. All right, see you guys next week. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.